That's definitely a way to start it off. What do you want me to? What do you want me to do? You want me to tell you where you are? Do you want? Where am I? Do you want me to? Oh God! Oh God! Where am I? What oh, am I doing here? Oh, I don't have any money, sir. Where am I? Where am I? Yeah, you could start it off. Go for it. Okay, so my little two minutes of, uh, of throwing out there. Uh, <laughs> so. I know that I talked at one point about going infinite on Magic Online. Infinite. Uh, and I know that at some point, and I'm not sure, most of this I think was on the podcast, but it yeah. was very, very sporadic. Uh, I know I talked about how they created a new program. It was called Magic Arena. Um, and I had, you know, kind of, you reset everything and you've got like a whole new database to build. Uh, and I put, let's say like a hundred bucks, you know, maybe 150 into the game yeah. to like get myself off the ground. Yeah. Uh, I have recently gone infinite on Magic Online, infinite. or Magic Arena, to where I'm no longer putting money in, and I'm continuing to play the same amount. Yes. Well, you have told me this. This is good. I know that I told you about online. I know that I told you about switching to Arena and not being there yet. So now I'm telling you about getting to Arena and getting to the infinite. Because this happened yes. like a, a little while ago. So it's an like evolution. Yeah, it's an evolutionary process. You've gotten, uh, you've gotten both, uh, and I, I sort of, wider for, and knowledgeable. Yeah, for those who have a concept of the the game, there are different formats, uh, and I had to switch formats to get to arena, which kind of throws like a huge curveball because like all of a sudden I have to learn new things Changes and strategies. The game. I mean, it didn't take me that long to get there, but it took me but a good you're couple already months. Back to yeah. infinite. Infinite. Thank you. Uh, That's good. Yeah. Congratulations. Arclight Phoenix is is the winner of that category. I don't understand uh, yeah. the reference, so this <laughs> is where I change topics. Perfect. That's all I have. <laughs> you I told you it was about two minutes. You talk about magic. On every fucking episode. I'm sure. It's the biggest part of my life. And every... And, so much and so I, that it's the biggest tattoo really, on my body. And I, re- and I really appreciate you sitting here with me on this couch telling everyone about your magics. Yeah. I keep like maybe three sentences of you and your magics. Okay. Because it's a part of your personality. Yeah. I think... Um, I mean, I usually... There are several other people on the show who have dropped references to magic, and you are one of them. I mean, I think that I know which ones do. You absolutely do. Yeah. Yes. It's it's not that big of a community, but it's big enough that... um, Have you seen the show Um Actually by College Humor slash Dropout? Yes. They reference it probably a third of the episodes. Sure. Nerds. Yeah, I always think that's cool. Because <laughs> I'm like, hey, that's, that one's mine. 
Where am I? I'm on a game show now. How did I get in this booth? Oh, shit. We, um... You know what thought I had the other day that was really fucking nerdy? What's that? I cannot wait to go to Comic-Con this year. I don't care which one. I just know I'm going. Yeah. This next year. It has to happen. I didn't go to any last year, and I regretted it thoroughly. I... So I'm actually going to a tournament on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, I usually go to. I, I'm a Sunday warrior for them, and there's enough Sunday like within. Um, let's say like a five hour radius. I've gone farther than that, but I don't like to by myself. Do you like how I'm your soundboard this I episode? Do. Yeah. There are just certain things you say that resonate with me, and I just choose to Sunday choose. warrior. <laughs> I just choose to express them. Yeah. So yeah, you were saying. Um, I, I mean, I travel a fair amount for it, um, yes, and I do. consider that like a comic con. Yes, you know, like fairly same I, category. Yeah, you're I, going somewhere where a lot of people appreciate the same thing as you, and it's obscure and nerdy, and mm-hmm. everyone likes it. Yep. and and you have fun, and you um, and people walk out with money. Not me, but people do. People do, and you are also at the same time kind of respected for your craft. Um, yeah. I'm telling you, I go to every con in a costume, and people always take pictures with me. Yeah. I'm respected for my craft. I've I, put a lot of hours into building my costumes. I'm proud of them. I know enough people that I can say hi to somebody at every event that I haven't seen in a couple months. That's great. Yeah. That's great. That's cool shit. Um, you know what else I just thought? I'm going on a fucking road trip to Pittsburgh in two weeks with Sir Booberry to see last podcast on the left and I usually go every year with Disco D but he has some important work to do uh, at the end of this month so he's gonna be um, out of order and um, I had to get someone to go with me because I wanted to do it again I had so much fun last time they were in Pittsburgh so I am going back this is gonna be my fourth or fifth time seeing them I don't know and I've already gotten to meet them and get pictures with them. It's such such a fun fucking time seeing them. So if uh, this episode is probably going to be coming out like that weekend. So Road trip if noise. Pe- if people hear about that uh, the Pittsburgh show, it's probably going to be kick-ass. Yeah. Anywho, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Not really. I'm sure I'll, I'll tangent at some point. In oh, the we, 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 we've been tangenting we are, all night. Yeah. As we are partial to do on this show, as yeah. Billy Wilkinson would say, <laughs> we are good storytellers. But if you are looking for a straight narrative, perhaps this is not the podcast for you. I hope by episode 126, part four of this <laughs> series, that you realize that we are tangential in nature. We are going to read as best as we can, but if something is stupid or if something is hilarious, it's going to take us off the path. Or if we just have a random thought. Sometimes that happens, too. Oh, yeah. And um, we'll get through the narrative. We will. You By the end of this episode, you will hopefully be at a further part in the narrative than when we started. <laughs> and hopefully that point in this episode is the end. So as Bill yeah. Wilkinson <laughs> would say, uh, we are good storytellers, but things often, you know, pop up. And if that's not your fucking digs, then get the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we are, uh, this is episode 126. I am here uh, doing what is ABC's part four, the finale with Where Am I? I? 
And uh, you know what we're doing. I wanted to keep the small talk centered and, uh, you know, holster it early so that we can hop straight into the story because we have, um, we have a lot to go through and I vaguely don't even remember what each of the letters are. I have no idea. So we're I was really of, hoping we weren't going through that again. <laughs> so I'm going to leave that to last episode. Yeah. Um, hopefully you just listen to these sequentially. I remember most of them. I do. I have to edit the episodes. I remember most of them. I, I understand the concept of the story. I don't necessarily... Like, even last time I was, like, f- making up words that fit with other parts of the story. <laughs> because, like, I, I, I remember all the stories i just don't remember what order they happened in yes you know well we we did do that that happened we, yeah and we're gonna continue to do that because some you know he's so what if the letter has nothing to do with the fucking story we remember what we read yeah. so we'll, we'll make the connection if it's there if it's there to be made i'm sure we'll bring it up mm-hmm. i know enough of what we're reading This isn't left-right game. This isn't where it's like it's important that you've listened to the other couple episodes. This one will make obviously make more sense than the last couple if you have, but it's so non-linear that everyone is going to get something different out of this story than we probably are. I also think that this is because it's the finale. It's probably the most important that you have listened. I hope it's the most conclusive of yeah, like. This is going to connect to the others because it's tying up loose ends, whereas the other ones were... Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, The other ones were... Every single episode, I I said, I ended with more open strings than I closed. Exactly. Every single one. Exactly. Hopefully this isn't... uh, Well, I wouldn't mind an open-ended ending. That's true. You Um, know, it's got to be closed enough. Yeah, I hope most of our questions are answered, or if they're not, they're at least left off in an aplomb way. Yeah, yeah. In a fun nature, I suppose. Um, Like, here's 85% of it, guess. But if you don't know the other, it's probably because I didn't know what I was doing, and I wrote (laughs) the story this way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it also could have been uh, under... Under the influence, where certain <laughs> things don't make sense because they were fucking st- hammered, you know? Do you want to start? Yeah. Yeah. Or do you want me to start? No, I'll start. Um, wherever we ended last time, I don't remember nor give a fuck. Go back and listen to the other episode. Then no. listen to this one, because we are starting with S is for Stranger. <laughs> I was going to wait till you were done. I'm awake. (laughs) Shit. Flannel sheets, not my sheets, smell like dirt and iron? In bed, but not my bed. Small. I can feel the edges. Not a king, maybe a twin. Hungry, sweetheart? The lady at the register smiles. A triple-decker display rotates slowly on the counter. I nod, but say, no, no thank you. This place smells like strawberries and thick-cut steak fries. My mouth waters. A booth in the corner is occupied by an old, shaky man. Where am I? (laughs) Moving food around his plate. He keeps staring at the empty seat from across him. Where are you? And sighing. He looks so sad. I recognize that look. My heart tugs my eyes back to the display. Are you sure? She asks. She sees me eyeing the glass. 
Best in the county. Been a family recipe for years, she says. Just one won't kill you. Her smile falters. A memory creeps into upturned eyes. She shakes it away. Just passing. I feel like I want to do voices, but like the narrative is a little haphazard and it's hard for me to like process all of it while I read. Fog. Awake again. Same bed. On my side. The pillow is new. It crinkles when I move. It's damp where I rest my eyes. My feet shift. Cold sheets brush bare skin. It's not often we have someone come in here to eat. Come in here to not eat, she says. You lost? Where, where am I? I nod my head and yes and say, no, no <laughs> ma'am. I'm, um, I'm... I stare at the menu behind her. Why is that painted over? I point to paint that doesn't quite match up with the rest of the board. Three letters and an exclamation point. The first letter is definitely a P. Oh, she says without looking. We don't sell that item anymore. Her smile fades. It's pussy. <laughs> they, don't, they don't sell pussy in this establishment anymore. But... I could really use some. <laughs> Can't we all? I look back to the carousel. I mean, we don't advertise it anymore. Those who want it bad enough can have it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's definitely it's pussy. It's definitely pussy. I nod my head despite my confusion. I need help. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we all do. She laughs. It's genuine. It's contagious. He's contagious. I'm awake, sitting. Feet dangled off the side of the bed. The rocking chair moves beside me. Outside, the storm is raging. Inside, my clothes are wet. I push my hair out of my face. My hands smell like fireworks. Where am I? I'm actually starting to assume this might actually be the father from A's for Alzheimer's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Normally. Oh, definitely. Maybe. Hey, maybe, yeah. Normally, I charge people for help, she laughs, but that look on your face tells me you're in a real pickle. What can I do for you? This. I pull sheet, three sheets of paper out of my bag and place them on the counter. I just wanted to know if I could hang these in your window. It's, it's... She picks up the paper, turns it in her hands, and frowns. Oh no, sweetie. You know this girl? My face mimics hers. She's my sister. I'm standing, awake and standing. Back, my back to the room, in a hallway. The chair creaks behind me. In front is a silent room. A silent room with windows, a big bed, and a tree that scratches. How long has it been? She asks, looking at the paper. A few days, or a few weeks, or months. We don't really know. I reach in for the other two. I, um, don't know much. I haven't seen her in a while. I'm just doing this for my parents. She puts a warm hand on top of mine. You're doing this more than just your parents. She says, I can see it in your eyes. She looks over my shoulder to the man in the booth, then back to me. 
I'll put two up on the main windows. You can put one on the door on your way out. Thank you, I say. I'm shivering. It's cold. No, I'm cold. The room is hot. It's radiating. I'm standing in front of the glass. Blue and red flashes through the window. Blue and red lights blinking outside. Blue and red eyes. I tape the paper to the inside of the glass door. My finger lingers on her cheekbone. The red ink smudges through her hair. I push my way outside, but before closing the door, I hear, Good luck! I'll be praying for you, and her. Ain't nothing worse than breaking the bond between siblings. I give a small wave and let the door close. I turn to go to my car when I hear the sound of paper ripping. She's right, you know, a voice hisses behind me. About the siblings thing. Breaking that bond is... His voice lowers into a whisper. Oh, so delicious. I turn. A shower of confetti rains down on the man, shadowed by the diner's awning. Tiny white pieces float around his head like moths around a flame. His eyes glow from beneath an arched brow. Why would you do that? I start to say, but a fog slips into my head. I'm turning, away from the mirror, back into the room. A wide bed with old indentations. A door left ajar. The smell of grief and fear, one set of muddy footprints, leads straight to me. Hello? Dan? Hello? The phone screams in my ear. I blink. The street in front of me looks blurred, like watching life through a dirty television. Dan, are you there? I blink again and realize I'm sitting in my car. Hello? A voice says from my mouth. Marsha? Jesus, Dan, are you okay? Am I? I don't know. You called me. Her voice is cracking. She's been crying. You called me and you didn't say anything coherent. You just breathed in the phone and mumbled something. The world is darker. Streetlights are flickering on. I wonder how long I've been sitting here. Someone else's thoughts crosses my mind. I have to go. Where, Dan? Where do you have to go? A house. My fingers find the key and turn on the car. I think I know who has her. Dan? Who has her? You mean your sister? You can't go there alone. Tell me where it is and I'll send the closest officers. Dan? I hear Noah crying in the background. Little Noah. My son brother without a sibling anymore. Just like me. What did I say? What? Dan, you're not making sense. Tell me where you're going and I'll send a patrol. I turn on my headlights. A flicker of a shadow walks away from the car. Marcia? What did I say? When? When I was mumbling. Long pause. I put the car into drive and pull out of the parking lot. Cruise control isn't on, but it's clearly on autopilot. I glance in the rear view and see the old man picking up pieces of scrap paper and clutching them to his heart. I feel nothing. I'm numb. She lets out a long sigh. You! She fumbles over the word. You, you keep saying 
He's smiling at me. The phone falls out of my hand and lodges itself between the seat and the console. I'm in the hall. Faded squares dot the walls where pictures used to hang. I touch one of them and leave fingerprints of red. My head turns as if studying meant the wall, and my feet walk away from me. You can't park here, he says. He's old. Not as old as the man in the diner, but old enough. Fat cheeks splotched with broken blood vessels wobble when he talks. As stringy, gray goatee frames thin, frowning lips. Pull your car down the street. Park in front of that house down there. Can't be parking in the driveway, man. I nod and pull the car into reverse. He seems to recoil from the headlights as I pull away. I park, lock the car, and jog back. He's entering the house. He's upstairs, he says over his shoulder, and then disappears off to the right. Who is? I call after him. No response. I walk through the door and up the carpeted stairs. Thunder cracks outside and the smell of this coming storm fills the house. I'm at the top of the stairs, looking down. Naked brown footprints muddy the stairs leading away from a heap in, on the floor. I follow the path. Thirteen steps, thirteen feet, thirteen shadows of red drying to, thirteen shadows of red drying to brown. Wind and rain and black limbs creep through a broken window. Hello? I say. Two rooms to my left, and a voice comes out of one. Or out of my head. Or both. It's hard to tell. One second. Just finishing up. I follow the sound around the corner. I stand between the two rooms, staring at the wall. I hear whispering to my left, and a baby was whimpering to my right. Come in he says, and I turn towards his voice. A young man brushes by me, his head down, a vacant smile twisting his face. Don't mind him, the man says, the man in the room says. Boys have always been a handful at that age. He laughs. It's contagious. Have a seat. He's sitting on the bed and standing at the window. I sit behind him as he looks down for me from across the room. Confusion becomes a lighthouse in the fog. I shake my head. Why am I here? Where am I? He's no longer beside me or at the window. He's crouching in a corner. He's back to me. His shoulders are heaving. He's giggling, standing above the heap. It doesn't mirror it doesn't move, neither do I. A mirrored pool of red creates islands of both of us. A thick Persian rug squishes between my feet. The Glock 19 on the heap's back blinks out and in, in the red and blue strobes. The giggle turns into a cackle, the cackle into a roar. I clamp my hands on my ears and squeeze my eyes shut. I count to 13 and open them. He's standing in front of me. His head is tilted sickeningly to the side, like he's trying to peer through the tops of my eyes. His body is still facing the corner. Vibrations tease the corners of his mouth. They pull horizontally like they've been hooked with fishing line on each side and stretched. 
His red lips turn purple, then black, then white, and then crack. Red seams slice through the vertical caverns. The corners shoot up and gather globs of skin and a lumpy handfuls of flesh until cauliflower cheeks swim in the stretched bulges of pale pink. He pushes his head forward until our noses are touching. Arms roll on dislocated shoulders as slimy hands pull mine from my ears. I need, he whispers, with breath that reeks of sulfur. I need to borrow your body for a few hours. His eyes widen, tiny black dots swimming in oceans of blue and brown. His smile grows, and I feel the fog pushing its way back in. I'm awake. Flannel sheets, not my sheets, smell like dirt and iron in bed, but not my bed, small. I can feel the edges. Not a king, maybe a twin. So this, uh... This entity, this demon, has been body hopping throughout time, perhaps? I mean, I guess that makes sense. It does. That's, you know, why the uh, the old man, uh, you know, was obviously taken over by him. Yeah. Um, I think it makes sense that the priest was as well. Hmm. Like... You know, obviously this thing is happening in front of the congregation and nobody's doing anything to the point where he has the ability to kill people after the fact. Sure. You know, I think at some point if the town realizes that you're there and that you're doing these things, they riot against you. Sure. You know, um, but if you're not known, obviously it's much easier to accomplish more. I don't know where that really fits in the story because it's so nonlinear. You know, it jumps all over the place. Well, I think that's the reason why it happens in the present. Because obviously the Alzheimer's already kicked in, and he's having flashbacks. Oh, we don't... Flipping back to the present. We No, his name isn't Dan. Alzheimer's dad's name is Calvin. He has the same name as his son, so it's not him. It's, um... Where does it go over the name? The chick calls him Dan a whole bunch. Okay. He, the guy talks like to his wife. Like in the wife. diner? No, the guy talks to his wife on the phone. She says, Dan, where are you going? Oh, so yes, it's, yes, yes. Um, it's the, I think it's the father. I think the, I think the S is for stranger stands for the old man that was helping the stranger kill the one guy and M is for moth. You know, he led, he led the drunk man to the room at the bottom of the stairs. There were two of them. And then, you know, we all know that he kills that guy. But um, that guy didn't know he was about to be killed. And the last we That's see fair. that old man show up is in the back of the police car of what's-her-name's dad's car um, after the uh, Emma's for Moth thing happens. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah I that, mean, that dad, the, the whole flannel thing, like that could just be him waking up in, uh, in the evil house, you know, repeatedly over time and yeah. him, him not knowing where his days are going. And, you know, what's happening, but he's, unbeknownst to himself, um, has been helping Mr. Demon Man, uh, what do we call him, Mystery Man, do the uh, do the thing he do. That's where I'm at mentally. Yeah. T is for twin. You're a miserable old bastard. He takes a drag of his Marlboro red and smiles. I wouldn't think so myself, but everyone has had a habit of reminding me, he laughs. 
And you know why that is, right? I ask. He shakes his head no. Because no one trusts a priest these days. And that's coming from a dentist, another laugh. I always say fixing teeth ain't nothing compared to mending souls. Another long pull from his cigarette. I sip my coffee and look out over the long driveway that drapes a sunken hill and disappears into the morning creeping fog. If only Mama can see us now. He nods. Two old codgers using up their last few years complaining about their flock. Now I'm not that old, Eugene, I protest. You're as old as me. No, you're six minutes older. He has something witty to respond with. I can see his lips twitch, but he's staring out in the distance and the moment passes. Something on your mind? This town, he sighs. This life, hell, everyone is on my mind. He lights another cigarette. A trail of smoke swirls his head like a halo. Is this like a tobacco cigarette or a wacky tobacco cigarette? It's a tobacco cigarette. I buried the Vandersons last Saturday. Both of them. You ever wonder if what you devoted your life to just isn't real anymore? See, it sounds more and more like a wacky tobacco. <laughs> it's Maybe the that's priest medium. from Is for Ezekiel. Calm yourself. I've seen priests he had do worse. cancer. Okay, exactly. I've seen priests do worse things than smoke marijuana. No, I say. <laughs> it's not like if I stopped believing in teeth, they'd all disappear. I try to smile, but he's sulking into the fog. You know what I mean, Seymour, he grumbles. Listen, this is your third crisis of faith this year. Maybe you just need a vacation. Loosen that clerical collar for a few days. Get out in the sunshine and relax. Maybe you're right. He snuffs out the Marlboro and stands. But even a broken clock is twice. But even a broken clock is right twice a day, I like to say. So that's what I am. A broken clock. If the shoe fits... Now you're just mixing metaphors. We both laugh as he walks to his car. You want to get lunch? He asks as he climbs into the old sedan. I've got a double baptism this morning. Been a lot of those lately. But a lot of them for years. Something in the water. Or Reba's cooking, I add. Another thing about this town, why have one when it's so easy to have two, I say. He pulls his seatbelt across his chest. So, lunch? Can't. I'm booked solid. Maybe tomorrow? Okay, why don't you lay under my car so the tires will split you in half as I drive away? I blink. What? I said, give me a call when you're free tomorrow. Eugene pulls the door shut and rolls down the window. I want to piss in your skull as crows eat your rotting intestines, okay? I trip over my feet as I step backwards. I can feel my face go cold. Well, why, why would you say that? Wow, he laughs. If I knew you still hated the diner that much, I wouldn't have said anything. He shifts his car into drive and pulls out into the driveway. Call me tomorrow, he says, waving out the window. I stare as the car disappears over the hill, kicking up dust in the shape of swarming moths. I turn and walk back to the porch, shaking the cobwebs from my head. Either he's messing with me, which is not something he's ever done, or I'm hearing things. I drink the rest of my coffee and feel my heart slowing in my chest. I laugh. He wouldn't say that, I say to the empty lawn in front of me. And I'm not hearing things. Yes, you are. The mug drops from my hand and shatters on the wood floor. My eyes swim in my head as I scan the porch and lawn for the voice. There's nothing. 
A stray cat meows next to a leafless tree and a few birds chirp somewhere off in the distance, but nothing else makes a sound. I just need some sleep, I think. Some sleep and something stiffer than that. A dick! I look at the coffee puddle on the floor for a moment and then walk into the house to get a broom. As I pass the brass-framed mirror in the foyer, I stop and check out my reflection. I do look old. Older than Eugene by years. I use my fingers to push out the crow's feet and massage the purple bags under tired eyes. My reflection looks over my shoulder at something behind me. I push the skin around my chin back to where it used to be when I was young and twenty and my reflection blinks. I lick my palm and press down on wide gray hairs that refuse to lie down and my reflection laughs. There's a tingle in my arm that starts in my palm and warms its way up through my veins to my shoulder. It feels like tiny ants are marching two by two in my veins. I shake it loose, flexing and relaxing my fingers until the ants take a rest. The clock above the door chimes seven times, and without thinking, I grab my keys. I pull the door shut, step over the broken mug, and walk to my car. The strike cat waves to me from its position on the tree. Tiny pins stretch out its skin out from the center, exposing bright red curtains of muscle and organs. The chirping birds from before have turned to crows and are pecking at the cat's eyes as it squirms and lashes its tail. I smile and put the car into gear. On the road... The other drivers grin and curse out their windows. Some spit or make lewd gestures with their fingers and tongues. My horn blares a ghostly trumpet as the radio chants long diatribes in dead languages. The eyes in the rearview mirror never leave my face. They crinkle in the corner, giving off the impression of a smile. Someone in the back seat hums softly and I can feel my mouth water. As I pull into my office's parking lot, the asphalt falls away to an endless pit of fire. White ash floats above the edge of the circle on sulfuric currents of boiling heat. I trot amiably around the edge, avoiding the flames and demons fused together in dual human hybrids, and up the stairs to the front door. My reflection in the glass cocks its head to one side like it's studying me, and then dips into a low bow. I return the gesture and then swing the door open and step inside. I mean, all dentists belong in hell. Am I right? <laughs> Am I right? The office is a cool temperature compared to the furnace outside, but the walls melt and drip onto the floor, exposing a brown ribbed frame that expands and collapses with each heartbeat. Large rats with heads on each end and long tongues that look like red forked tails climb through the internals, chewing and scratching at the insulation, making it bleed pink pus out into the writhing carpet. A framed painting of a large tooth swings on a rusted nail in a hypnotic dance as the glass reflects my other twin who dances and giggles silently. I've watched for what seems like an eternity, my ankles and knees petrified and cracking under stagnant weight. Good morning, doctor, the receptionist says from behind a wall made of bones and tanned skin. I hope you bleed out of every open hole until you drown in your own fluids. Her face is liquefied as her nose and eyes ooze and collapse over one another. Her mouth opens to her chin and swallows large chunks of floating skin, leaving wet sores that spout streams of liquid in beautiful arcs. I blink at her as my reflection disembowels itself into the corner of my eye. Is my first appointment here? I ask. She shakes her head, no, and a cavalry of maggots march out of her bleeding ears. <laughs> then who is this? I point to the man dressed in his Sunday best, a beacon of blue in the crusted scab-colored office. Who is who? Her mouth doesn't move. Her lips are bound together with rusted wire sewn in jagged cross-stitch. 
Never mind, I say to her, and follow me to the man with a smile that curves around the sides of his face. But doctor, there's no one there. Her voice enters my head like a moist bullet massaging my brain and rocking the tumultuous room into a calm chaos. I turn to her. The bone and flesh wall transforms into a wood and metal desk. Her face shimmers and settles into lovely normality. She smiles a worried smile as the man behind me puts a hand on my shoulder. I watch as her lips rupture and a waterfall of blood drapes her chin. Her canines and lateral incisors grow and expand until they push through the lower palate and out through the bottom of her chin. A gentle fog pushes her bullet back out of my brain. I'll be in room two, I say to her and walk towards the back. Would you like any nitrous? I offer the man following me. He just smiles that morbidly beautiful smile. And we have, we have another tea. And also, yes, this man has uh, something serious to do with uh, the dentist. I think uh, the dentist ends up killing a bunch of people that day and then killing himself. I believe that's what the, the cop said in uh, F is for Feed. They say that the, dentist, uh, the dentist's office was a bloodbath. Okay, so here's my question in my head right now, right? The gremlin... Yep. We only really saw that once, right? No. We saw... We saw, well, we saw it in one chunk. We saw it in a bloody... No. It was in G is for Gremlin and K is for Keg. It made two appearances so far. But we didn't see it in K is for Keg. We assumed no, it was she, there. No, she very specifically said something black slack and followed their car for a little while. Okay, okay. Something, something human-shaped... Black and slacken. I I don't think that there was enough description that you could. She described the eyes a certain way. Yeah, it, fair it enough. It all it all sounded way too similar. I don't think we haven't been shown otherwise. What what were you gonna say to talk about the gremlin though? Um, I was gonna say that it was his imagination. Yeah, it was a figment of the guy's imagination. And then at the same point, you can say, okay, well, something that's scary looks like that, and something else that's scary looks. Really, really similar. Sure. No, you know? I'd, I'd absolutely buy into it or just say that he kind of shows people whatever they want exactly. to, to see. Like one, so one of those situations. If she thinks something was chasing the car, then, you know, he might have made that possible for her. Yeah. And it might have just looked very similar or sounded very similar. No doubt. No doubt. Um, so what was that? That was T is for what? No. T is not. for twin. twin. Okay, yeah. So it's it's weird. We have another T. So we're at T is for text, but it all it almost matches like the the story is is deteriorating quickly. Oh yeah, if you, you want know, to look at it like, that way, I'd say that it. I'd say that the. Uh, I'd say that the author wrote himself into a corner and has more he wanted to say, but yeah. it's running out of letters. Um, I mean, I also think it might make sense to skip one. Maybe you know, and like okay, well, there's still twenty six and. I, I don't know. I, I think the... Because going into it, you knew that there were two T's. So no, you, I said that there were multiples, and there might actually be more multiples. Okay, after fair enough. Two. Fair enough. Um, of course, I had to copy them to this document. Yeah. So, yeah, I knew that there would be some repeats. I just didn't know where. 
I mean, we also thought that the story was going to go in a completely different direction. We also started this entire series under the wrong. Yeah, the, it the was wrong a different pre-tabs. story. Did yeah. I ever tell you that I did end up finding the one I was talking about? You did. It's yeah. only like two episodes long, but we'll get to it at some okay. point. Anyway, you want to read T is for text? T is for text. Let me grab a quick slug of a little bit of each. T is for text. I pull my sweatshirt and throw it in the hamper. With one hand, I unclasp my bra (laughs) and pull it out through my sleeve. Next to go are my socks and jeans, both of which miss miss the hamper and lay in a toppling pile of dirty clothes. I stretch and yawn and stare at the little bookshelf beneath my bedroom window. A red spine with gold lettering is wedged between worn paperbacks and teen romance. In the Bible my mom gave us before she split is a passage about something I couldn't give two shits about. I can't remember what it said or where it was, but I do recall that it having a big red circle around a few lines of words. Now that circle has been carved out along with about a hundred other pages of quotes from the old dead people and replaced with ones with this nice Ziploc bag of bubblegum and a small one-hitter Bo gave me on our first date. What's up? Speaking of the devil, nothing, I write. About to smoke and crash, nothing else going on. If I'm even to be ground, if I'm going to be grounded, I might as well enjoy it. I shift my bare feet and the old floor creaks beneath me. Fun. You hear about Stephen? Of course. Cops came to talk to Far. Stupid Farah. Always picking the wrong boys. I could have told her Stephen was a mental case. I mean, the homecoming prank was funny, but what he did to that Derek kid's family? What did you hear? What do you mean? The cat thing or the dog thing? I would have loved to see the looks on their faces. All the strays on string. He's missing. He's probably just hiding from his mom. I bet he gets grounded for life. If his mom even notices. She spends so much time taking care of his brother. It's no wonder he switched schools. Maybe. But the cops want to talk to him about Derek. Of course they do. Derek probably whined about getting punched or something. First, he complains to the coach about something Steven did to the mascot and stole the the starting quarterback position. Then he got into a fight after catching Steven during the homecoming prank. And now Derek probably saw Steven messing with his dog. Maybe if Derek wasn't such a tattletale, Derek's dead. I have to read the text three times before it finally sinks in. What? No way! Casey had his body come in yesterday. OMG! WTF! Is she sure? It has to be an accident or something. A car crash or... Totally sure. The parents said it was him. Apparently his face was missing. Blown off. I feel my stomach turn. I look at the Bible and close the cover. Was it... I don't know how to finish the text. I just can't see Stephen doing something that awful. I mean, 
He has issues, but... What did the cops ask for? I don't know. They asked about Steven, but she said she hasn't seen him since the party. I wish she was here now instead of crying in her room. I don't think it was Steven. I feel a blanket of relief cover me. Good, I write. Why did you think that? There's a delay before I hit send. I stare out of my bedroom window, into the dark shadow of the backyard. Our old rusted swing set stands silent in the moonlight, its empty pendulum gently in the breeze. Because that's not an answer. Curiosity gets the better of me. Because why, I write. A cloud shambles in the front of the moon, sending the words into a deeper black. Because it was me. The phone slips from my hand and bangs on the hardwood and topples end over end under the bed. I stare out into the window in shock. He's joking, I say to my reflection in the glass. It's a joke, a very bad joke, but a joke. I take a few deep breaths and bend over to pick up the phone. Something eats at the side of my brain. Something flirting on the edges of awareness. Something I saw. Something I saw out the window. I grab the phone and it hits me. Cold, wet terror courses through my veins. The swing. Somebody was in the swing. I drop to my knees and crawl to the window. Sitting back on my heels, I slowly raise up until my eyes barely peek over the bottom of the glass. A stubborn cloud dawdles in front of the moon, blocking out most of the light. But I can see, faintly, the blue seat swaying gently in the wind, unoccupied. I breathe a sigh of relief and then jump completely out of my skin as the phone vibrates in my hand. I look down. Hi. Hi, I write. Seriously? You make a stupid joke and then say hi? What the fuck, Bo? I'm fuming. I may cut him off for a week or two, but then change my mind because that'll just punish me as well. What joke? What joke? The one where you said you killed Derek. Not funny. I eyed the Bible. Oh, that. It wasn't a joke. I really did kill Derek. I feel ants marching across the back of my neck. Goose flesh breaks out on naked skin. Goose, goose flesh? Yeah. I mean, goose, 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 bumps. goose bumps. It's the same. Okay. Um, I've never heard that term. It's, uh, it's like a British thing. I stand and dial Bo's number. This is not fucking funny, I growl. Somehow, even with the window closed, I hear the faint thrumming of his ringtone. Some deep purple song he's obsessed with. I press my face into the glass, looking through the reflection, and see a black figure sitting on the swing. A soft blue light flashes in its lap. I put the phone to my ear, and the figure does the same. Hello? No answer. 
Bo? Still no answer. Say something, I can hear you breathing. The figure removes the blue light from its ear and presses a button. The line goes dead. I stare at the window for a moment longer as the figure kicks its feet back and starts swinging in high arcs. Nope, I say out loud, fuck that. This is the point where I call the cops. I turn the phone screen back on and start dialing. Before I can enter the last one, a notification pops up on the screen. Are you lonely? Seriously? I was about to call the cops, Bo. I type. Tara has switched gears and morphed into anger. I hit send. You don't have to be alone. God, boys are so dumb. Are you trying to scare me so you can get in my pants? Not going to work. I look out the window and flip the bird to the finger, standing in front of the swings. Wait, in front of the swings? You're never alone with me. I look back out the window. The figure is gone. I scan the edges of the yard, the bushes behind the neighbor's house, and between the trees behind them. Nothing. I get on my tiptoes and try and look straight down. Shit! Below me, standing, with its face pressed into the wall, is the top of a dark shadowed head. Bell, I type. I watch for what seems like an eternity. A blue dim light ignites below the figure's head. It turns its head up towards me, and I quickly drop below the windowsill. My phone vibrates. <laughs> I'm here. I can feel my eyes watering. I want to shout out to Farah, but I can't. My throat squeezes down any sounds I try and force out. Bo, I write, please stop. You're scaring me. I hear heavy footsteps coming up the stairs. My phone comes to life in my hands. I'm right here. I'm shaking and gagging on sobs that stick in my throat. My eyes burn with tears that are too afraid to fall. Knock, knock, knock. I look at the screen and read the words. I wait for the inevitable. When it doesn't come, I wait longer, determined not to be caught off guard. When it still doesn't come, I let out a huge sigh of relief and then gasp as a heavy hand pounds three times on the door. Go away! I scream. The words pull me to my feet. Go the fuck away, Bo! The knob twists. Old hinges squeak. There's a click, click, scratch at the window behind me. The sound startles, so I turn but the creaking floorboards bring me back to the door. My phone vibrates. You never have to be alone again. The door swings all the way open. I hear Farah calling my name from miles away. A dark figure stands in the doorway, silhouetted by the hall's light. He's a familiar shape, but twisted, as if he's been 
wrung out and left to warp in the sun. He takes an awkward step forward, his left foot bending sharply on a on a wobbled ankle. His arms don't move. They just dangle bonelessly at his shoulders. His head tilts and lolls on a neck too flimsy to support the weight. A purple tongue flops over a bruised chin, and two brown eyes stare at me in agony. Bow, I whisper. I hear Farah's door open and shut from down the hall as my phone vibrates in my hand. Smile. Click, click, scratch goes my window again. I turn on my heels and come face to face with a blonde man in a blue shirt. Bo's phone lights his face, leaving the rest of him and the world he torments in absolute black. A blue eye and a brown eye. One burns whole into my soul as a wicked crease forms in the corner of his mouth and stretches out in a bizarre plastic distortion. The bottom of his face seems to be melting upward and showing rows and rows of sharpened teeth. The, the cage a forked tongue that darts in and out and wets cracked lips. I hear Farah's voice, but before I can scream, the man, the thing, winks at me and puts a finger to my lips. Shh, he says. You mustn't wake the baby. A tangle of black limbs unfolds itself from the beneath. Yeah, that's the f from beneath the darkness. Yeah, yeah. I, I like. I keep reading you it, going. It. I'm fucking it. this up. No. A tangle of black limbs unfolds itself from beneath the darkness below the man, and he removes his finger from my mouth to let the monster suckle. <laughs> that was intense. That was fun. That yeah. was like a little horror movie all in one go. It's like the opening to Scream. Yeah. It's I, fun. I got real into that. That was fun. That could work as its own little short story, I think. Yeah. That's fun. With a better jump scare at the end, except for, you know, take take them take the man, take Mystery Man away and put in a monster or something. It'd be, mm -hmm. it'd be fun. That was a fun piece. That was Ferris' sister getting haunted by the Mystery Man. Well, you know, not, not a huge storytelling piece, but still mm -hmm. interesting. You know, fair, fair is fair is still around. Oh, you know, we're we working don't, it. Yeah, we don't know where it's going to end, but we're theoretically, working. there could be six more. <laughs> theoretically, theoretically, you is for underground. I never liked this job. This is something a little girl dreams of becoming. Well, maybe some girls, but not me. I always liked horses. When I was twelve, I gathered the nerve to ask Daddy for a pony, and he laughed. A big belly laugh that reeked of whiskey and lavender. Just we're going that. to keep a <laughs> pony, Anita. He asked. Next to the coffins. Coffins and horses. They all end up underground. Of course not, I shouted back. I'll take him someplace with wide open spaces like Kentucky or Spain. That elicited another roar of laughter. Spain, he nearly choked on the word. How are you going to get there? Is the pony going to fly first class? I remember storming out of the room after it became quite apparent his laughter wasn't going to stop. Ten years later, I married the first boy that I looked like, that looked like Daddy, but acted completely different. We weren't happy, yet we weren't unhappy. We were amicable roommates who occasionally saw each other naked. 
This is your guy that got gutted in Gremlin, and, yeah. and she's talking shit. I feel bad. He kind of loved her. He would spend his afternoons working on screenplays or reading up on old Cadillacs. Uh, I mean, he sort of reminds me of myself, and to be honest, I would be very okay with amicable roommates who occasionally saw each other naked. I'm okay with that, too. <laughs> like, a generational thing. I'd busy myself with flushing out body fluids and doing makeup on corpses. Rarely would we talk shop. Rarely would we talk at all. Nah, that's a little fucked up. I guess it wasn't a surprise when he committed suicide. Boom. Okay. The strange thing about dead bodies, I mean, oh, Jesus if one Christ. takes a few minutes... That means he ripped out his own intestines. Well, the thing placed the knife in his hand to end the story, so of course everyone would think that he got uh, Yeah, himself. yeah, okay, okay. They put a box cutter in his hand at yeah. the very end. Maybe he did it himself and imagined he it as something else? He didn't. We all know he didn't. It was, it was Mystery Man uh, using, well, yes. using uh, obviously his it would, powers. It, would, it was Mystery Man either way, sure. but it might have been Mystery Man taking over his mind. Eh. The strange thing about dead bodies, I mean, if one takes a few minutes to contemplate what exactly qualifies as strange given the subcontext, is that even after the proverbial life has left the proverbial, proverbial vessel, the husk just keeps twitching. It makes me feel like shit that I said that I relate to that. I first came across this. <laughs> You're just now realizing it. Yeah. I'm no, like, oh, I think a, I think a lot of people would relate to him in yeah. his final moments. I related to them. I found it very poignant. I liked it. Yeah. That was that was a good that was a good chapter. I first came across this and subsequently had my first waking terror when I was six and wanted a sandwich. We weren't allowed to use knives, and by we, I mean mother and I, so I needed daddy's permission to spread jelly on a toasted slice of white bread. He was in the office, quote-unquote, which is what we've called the prep room since before I can remember, and I was firmly planted between two unbreakable rules. Use a knife on my own, which would result in spankings, bed without dinner, and probably an unpleasant sharing of blame and beatings from my mother, or enter the office during work hours, and, well... No penalty had yet bestowed on this breakage, but the gruffness in which the law was passed down had led me to believe it was far worse than a knife violation. I don't know, use the back of a use the back of a spoon or a fork. Get over yourself. Yeah. Being as they were, and given the age of the decider, I chose the more ambiguous rule and hoped for a lack of spankings. I was rather hungry, and the bread was already toasted. I descended into the spotless main room, a large brick furnace, stood to my right in an oversized refrigerator to my left. The rest of the room was empty, unfortunately completely empty. A few times previously I had snuck down into the office to peek from the stairs when Daddy was at a funeral or burying another customer. Curiosity is an evil drug that is considerably addictive to those below the age where reason begins replacing imagination. Each of the times I'd left myself venture into the basement, the grand swath of white tile between the furnace and fridge would be inundated with gurneys and machines with hoses like octopus appendages. Those machines, the ones I'd come to find out later, were the first of their kind to suck and drain the fluids out of bodies not quite ready to give up their hold. They were the ones that scared me the most, and on this day, the day I decided to take the unspoken punishment rather than let my sandwich be unjellied, all those machines were missing. Wait, so she did go to, to the, the office? Yeah, she went downstairs. The furnace was prepping bluish-brown flames flicked out of an 
arced mouth. A large exhaust fan pulled the hot, dry air out in great gusts and bellows. The house seemed to rock above me to the furnace's respiration. I turned my back to it, which being a six-year-old girl is no small feat. If one has never turned their back on a major fear just so they can face an even greater one, then one has never felt midday hunger for a crustless PB&J like I did that day. <laughs> With a tiny shaking hand, I knocked on the refrigerator door. It was a feeble knock, one that couldn't be heard in an empty cathedral, but somehow it met its target. The handle clicked, clicked again, and then the door scratched its way open. My father stood in the doorway, half astonished and half furious at his little daughter who dared interrupt his work. "'Where's your mother?' he sneered. "'At church,' I said." We both knew that was a lie. Mother only went to church on the weekends. Any other time she used it as an excuse meant she was, um, well, it meant she was most definitely not at church. My father glowered. If I could have looked past the fluid-stained butcher's apron, I would have seen the flurry of emotions that twisted across his face. What do you want? He spit out at me. My eyes picked up his words from the floor. I need a knife, I whispered. What? There was a rustling of fabrics behind him. I looked up and his head was turned back towards the inside of the refrigerator. A knife, I repeated. His head swiveled back. For a moment, it looked like his eyes were all black. I I need it for my sandwich, he blinked. A smile slipped into the corners of his mouth but never reached his eyes. Then get a knife. But you said I wasn't allowed. There was a rustling behind him again, a soft moan. I tried to step to the side to see, but Daddy blocked my view. I only caught a glimpse of blonde hair above a blue shirt on a gurney. I started to ask what's going on, but Daddy got to one knee and grabbed both my shoulders. He stared into my eyes. Anita, he said, you're a big girl now. I'm six. And you'll be seven in a few months. There's plenty old enough to use a butter knife by yourself. Someday you'll have to use far sharper instruments. He waved his hand behind him. I tried to follow it with my eyes, but he shifted again to block my view. Go on upstairs and make your sandwich, he winked. I'd never seen my father wink before. It seemed like it took all his concentrated effort to pull off the movement. Okay, I whispered and turned towards the stairs. And Anita, my daddy added. Tell your mother I wish to talk to her immediately when she gets home. He clicked the handle up, it clicked a second time, and then the door scratched closed. I stood on the bottom step for a good two seconds before the burping furnace chased me back upstairs. I still think about that day, the way the body moved behind Daddy. It was the first callus that formed over any emotional connection I have with the deceased. A body is just a body, a horse is just a horse, it doesn't matter if it's a complete stranger or your own husband. You do the job, prep the body, aid those who can still mourn, and then make yourself a sandwich with whatever knife you choose. When he died, my husband, not daddy, I had far too many people asking who would prepare his body. It was never an option. I would do it the same way I'd done so many others before him. It didn't matter if we were married, if he brought a fraction of humanity back into my life, or if he had a charred fetus lodged inside his abdomen. Holy fuck. That was real. Yeah. He was a husk. His life was a memory I would lock inside my heart, and his body was a shell I would lock inside the ground. I loved the man, but once he died, I didn't love the body. I drained the fluid, sewed everything back into the body, and painted his face. I'd like to think I imagined his death. I imagined the crumpled set of arms and legs that twitched in his gut, and that it was all bits of distorted reality breaking through my callus, 
but part of me knows the truth and has known it since I was six. Coffins and horses and husbands with curses, I put them all in the ground. See, but I've I've heard that type of mindset from other people who have worked in oh absolutely like funeral homes absolutely you know like yeah. you're around death so much that it doesn't mean a thing to you just anymore. look at a haunting of hill house you know the 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 one character Shirley she's played that to a t it's yeah. it's been it's been done before uh, maybe not when this story was first written but it's absolutely been done before uh, I mean my first um do you know when this story was written. No, no clue. Okay. My, I would say somewhere in the last couple of years. Yeah, my first recognition of that was uh, Six Feet Under. Sure. Yeah. Which um, I believe came out, it finished when we bef- like when we were in high school. You are absolutely correct. Great show too. Yeah. Anyway, this next one. V is for victim. Ooh, we're talking about my favorite thing. A dragon with two heads will only survive... If one bites the throat of the other, I wipe a crusted knife against my pant leg. Does that make sense? His eyes go wide. Sweat drips around the creases in his nose and soaks into the rag. He mumbles something. Of course not! I say, that's a ridiculous saying, and the logic itself doesn't make a lick of sense. First of all, dragons aren't real. And secondly... Wouldn't the dragon eventually bleed out? I let out a big belly laugh that echoes off the walls of the small room. He tilts his head in a shaky nod. The storm continues to bladder against the window. I'm going to tell you a story. I appraise the knife in weak lamplight and return it to the center of the circle. Two people. We'll call them brothers for lack of a better term. And being that they're bond with each other came only from their differences with every other person in the world. Brothers is what they will be. Two people, two brothers. Against the world of... I step towards him and he flinches. I smile. See? Brothers of blood can be broken. The world runs on blood. Blood can be replaced, corrupted. But brothers of destiny. He shakes his hand. Too cliche? I ask. I know. Beside me, a small gray urn with red inscription sits atop of a wooden pedestal and a sprig of lavender. I pick up the urn and place a bit of the flower in my mouth. After carefully chewing for a moment, I remove half the wad and place it in the ash. The story! I shout. He jumps in the chair. I begin sprinkling the ash and mashed flour in a wide circle around his chair. You must stop me if I get on a tangent again. I wink, like I see them do in the movies, but it doesn't feel right on my face. Two travelers converge on a path. One has fallen from his perch atop the highest of mountains, and the other has clawed his way up from the deepest of caves. They stand, brift of knowledge, naked to the blazing sun, and thoroughly lost in both the physical and spiritual sense. The urn runs dry, so I replace its top and place it back on the pedestal. A long piece of white chalk is retrieved from a leather case, and I begin inscribing 
on the floor and walls. The traveler from the mountain says, Brother, we are, are we alone to this earth? To which the other replies, Nay, fellow, for such a sun would shine on more than just us. So they agree to walk hand in hand until they arrive back at the spot from which they started in hopes of searching out others in this great land. The man is only weeping now. I use the back of my hand to dry his tears. He recoils from my touch. After such years of walking, the skin has fallen away from their feet. The sun has burned their arms and back to winged leather, and the wind has pushed all pigment away until they are white monsters floating above the earth. The travel from the caves and say, Brother, maybe I was wrong. It seems we are alone. To which the other replies, Nay, fellow, for up ahead I hear the laughter of children and the cries of the newborn. So they continue to walk towards the sound. A red puddle is forming beneath the man's chair. His face is slacking against the rag. I continue to draw. Two travelers, brothers now more than ever, float over a hill and approach a camp of people. They are greeted by a set of boys whose features look like reflections in the stillest of waters. The traveler from the mountain says, Children, will you not welcome us into your homes? For we have walked the entirety of earth just to find you. To which the boys reply, Nay, monsters, you are not like us. You do not share our blood. Be gone and rot within the earth on top of which you now float. And the children walk hand in hand back to the camp, laughing and singing their songs. I remove the, f the rag from his mouth. His jaw sags open. Clotted blood clings to a lolling tongue. Wild eyes dance beneath the covers of resting lids. Insulted and left to die in their frail, withering husks, the two brothers turn away from the camp. The traveler from the cave says, We should let them be, for they are only temporary, just like us. Someday they will be replaced with kinder souls. To which the other replies, Nay, Deva, they are not deserving of this place. We are heirs to the world and shall enjoy it for them. Each time our body rots, we shall remember this day. And the two brothers turned back to take what was owed. Deva is the name of Mystery Man. So this is the story of Mystery Man. Makes sense. I mean, it also may not be a physical world. Like, it may be a spiritual oh, no, world. Sound, it, it sounds more like bullshit, honestly. Yeah, yeah. But still. I'm sure my, my voice is certainly adding to the bullshit feel. <laughs> not sure which character you're playing yet. I don't either. Which is why I'm just Make it up bullshit. <laughs> yeah. With the damp rag, I wipe his mouth and chin. The crimson pool spreads into the carved trenches that circle the chair and cap in five triangles. White chalk soaps up the liquid and creates a wall of solid symbols. I crouch over him, the stranger, the brother, and push his lids up with my thumbs. Do you understand now? I whisper eagerly. The brown iris and the blue one swim in milky panic, and then, 
as the last bit of life flows away, they roll up into the back of the skull. I lean over and kiss his forehead. Come home, brother, I say, using my thumbs now to spread his mouth into a smile. A new vessel awaits. Nice. So, um, V is for victim is to imply that someone took over this guy's body. I'm also starting to think that it might have been, um, the dad from the last story. Because they implied that the the man in blue, who is Mystery Man, was tied to a gurney shaking. Who's who's to say that he wasn't the Mystery Man yet, and he was just a victim being imbued with the uh, the spirit of Deva at that point in time? Yeah. Maybe the um, maybe the father was a. Uh, it sounds like there are multiple demons here at work, so maybe um, maybe the father was also possessed. Who knows? At this point, um, I still have more questions and none of them are being answered, so I just kind of want to keep reading yeah. to hope that we get somewhere that answers something. Um, I mean, I, that I was think... still a fun part, but it's more like... So that's how so that's how Deva ended up in Mystery Man's body. Great. That story still doesn't contribute much because we don't get confirmation of who it was that put him in whoever's body. I mean, I think that we are certainly... Answering some questions like uh, maybe not who or where did the demon know? come from? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, essentially. But like almost a a, a how is being answered. Like uh, obviously, there's mind control yeah. at work. You know, yeah. maybe not so much a what, but like we're formulating our own ideas of of a what. Um, but like we definitely see a uh, like a, a backstory. Uh, we definitely see a timeline. And we definitely see a, a how. It just doesn't interlock as much as I wanted it to. Yeah, I agree that's, that's with all, that. That's all it's coming down to. Well, I mean, based on the page numbers, it seems like uh, the la- like the last few are going to be a little bit longer than the, the first few that we've read tonight. Or there are going to be more letters, which might be yes, the case. Yes, very much so. Um, I'm hoping that it... it it doesn't add letters. I think that, that was like a, a sort of cheap cop out. Not gonna. It is a cheap cop out, um, which is why I, I acknowledge. That. Yeah. So I'm I'm hoping that the letters just end up being a little bit longer. I think. And it's like a, a click. I think probably. Letters. <laughs> yeah. I'm still hopeful. W is for wedding. Face the mirror. Are you alone? Yes. Close your eyes. Are you still alone? No. Open your eyes. Is anyone there? Just me. Close your eyes. Who is there now? We. Oh. (laughs) I got myself. I played myself. A white gown custom made to be worn by me for a man I have already forgotten. A two-year engagement climaxing at an empty altar. I kneel before a different one. I serve a different one. I am the different one. He, the one, will become my everything. He comes in my dreams. Ooh. When I'm awake and aware, he slips messages and whispers. Through reflections, I see my other. Through mirrors, I find my home. World meet Greta, were the words I heard before language torched my tongue. Greta, meet the world, are the words spoken by my gift to her own child weeks later. A child that won't be born until he whispers to her at her awakening. 
an ornate church on a crested hill, large steeples framing an early morning sun. I arrive early to prepare. A gaggle of childhood friends, pampered and liquored, toting bags and a plastic-sheeted dress, sneak by the priest who feigns obliviousness to the breakfast champagne and nervous excitement. We commandeer a back room that smells of frankincense and mothballs and sprawl about the floor like made-up starlets in silk pajamas, lamenting our supposed loss of future freedoms. Old wives recount war stories of their first times as newlyweds flash giant rocks that blind them to their givers' inadequacies. The poor ones with a, without a mate or any future of marriage silently smile in corners as the rest of the conversation screams, wee wee wee, without a me in sight. We are excited for my husband's promotion, one yells over the glistening carrot weighing down a fattened finger. But won't you be moving, asks a poor girl, single, alone, and frightfully happy. Yes, but it's what we want. But what about your diner? I'll sell it. To who? The young girl who works the counter. She makes the most delicious pies. But it was your dream. Ah, uh, but we decided to move so we can pursue his dream. The conversation continues this way, married hens and single chickens clucking at each other as I, the in-betweener, the one in marriage limbo, stares at my twin in the mirror. Close your eyes, are you alone? I wish. Born to a family but raised in another home, I was never alone. Seven siblings that looked nothing like me, or each other for that matter, and even less like two adults who absently loved us long enough for them to procure another replacement. We can't have children, they'd say, so we take care of those thrown away by the ones who can. Now I'm surrounded by seven girls who are closer to me than my brothers and sisters, both of those blood and adopted, and yet I am only drawn towards the mirror. What is it about reflections on one's wedding day? Why must a bride, capable enough to see herself in three angled, full-length mirrors, need to seek validation of others on how she looks? Why not just ask the mirror what it thinks? Close your eyes, you are alone. A twirl, a cascade of cloth in a simple mirror, a glimpse, a peek, a smiling face when I was frowning, out of the corner of my eye looking away at something on the floor, an intense feeling, a prickling sensation at the nape of my neck of being watched, of being studied, of being beckoned. We've decided to have a baby. The conversations slip over me, I'm pulling on layers of fabric, someone zips me up. I do a turn in the mirror, but my reflection stays put, grinning. We love our new golf membership. I'm staring, shaking my head, blinking until my eyes water. My mirror twin laughs and bows. Black beads drip out of clouded eyes. Long nails tap the mirrored glass between us. We've decided to hire Nanny. A fog billows from beneath my dress, pressing out on corset strings until they bind against tight knots. My lungs swell for the first time. High heels click on the tile in the hallway, click on the wood in the rectory, and scratch on the gravel as I escape on the parking lot. Fleeing my friends, fleeing the other, fleeing myself. I just need to breathe. I just need to calm down. I just need to see. Every car window around me shows my reflection as it points and laughs and covers a broken grin. Open your eyes. Are you still alone? I dropped to my knees, ruining a dress that was never for me, not the me I've become, not the me I was planning to be. I scream and duck beneath windows where a familiar face presses against the glass. 
She's mute to my madness. She's silent to my terror. The other girls are looking for me, calling out a name that was never mine, begging me to come back, begging me to become a we. It's for your own good, one yells while drinking enough alcohol to temporarily erase her husband's infidelity. You'll love being married, another one says with the sticky sour rasp of a war prisoner. You're never alone with me, his voice whispers in my head. It's fucked up, man. I gather the cotton and lace and pull myself to feet that walk under new guidance. They arrow towards the back of the lot where a limo for the dead rumbles in idle. I stare into a tinted window into eyes that I've stared at for years but never really saw. They blink. I don't. They crease the corners as the smile contorts her face. I tilt my head unwillingly as if I'm being forced to study myself. She nods. I feel myself being stretched into the other, like pulling taffy apart over a flame. White flutters as my vision goes. Close your eyes. Is anyone there? Hands grasp my shoulders, forearms hook my waist. I'm lifted, dragged backwards on broken heels, and pulled away from wedding day hearse. Think about your husband, one says into my ear, ignoring the fact that I haven't said yes. Think of your children, another one chirps, oblivious to the hundreds I would eventually steal. Think of yourself, he whispers through the wind. The black limo that is not a limo turns in a wide arc, the driver unseen but staring. Hinges creak as the rear door swings open. On rails where a coffin should be sits a single wild flower, a purple beacon in this world of black. A single moment of lucidity resting on reflected chaos. Open your eyes, who is there now? I bat at the hands that helped me just moments before. I push at the faces tangled up in empathy and confusion. I kick at the air until shoes slip from my feet. I scream. Let her go, the married women say. Bring her back, the single woman yell. Come to me, he whispers above the roar. My twin, seated deep in darkened glass, opens her arms in an embrace, the reflection shimmering in a slow morning heat. I break from the grasps of the women, charge through the huddle, and dive into the back of my chariot. The engine roars to life as tires spin and kick up gravel into my sister's faces. A burst of laughter swells in my belly and works its way out of a confused mouth. My head spins, rights itself, and then spins again. The driver, as the car propels down the sloping hill, escapes the church's shadowed steeples, turns back towards me and smiles. I've been waiting for you, he says through a mouth that doesn't open. Me? I ask as my face shifts, bones creak beneath the skin, my blonde hair twists into brown curls. At that moment as my old life seeps out onto the floor around me, and I am reminded of who I am since being stolen away at birth, I yearn to become a we. He nods. Are you ready? We look at him with new eyes. We smile. We say, yes. Interesting. I, I'm like, I don't know. I have a lot to say, but none of it's about the story. <laughs> it was interestingly written. Yeah. But at the same time, still doesn't answer a lot of what's going on. No, not really at all. <laughs> it just which implies is, that Mystery Man isn't alone. Yeah, it, which, which is why kind like, a of lot already of my, guessed. my uh, comments are sort of uh, on like weird tangents of like, 
you know, okay, well, clearly there's this this going on. Clearly there's that going on. Why do people need to feel like they're forced to get married? Like, and then it's just a, a, a wild tangent. Just a there. lot of a lot of yeah, wicked tangents. There's, there's too many things to. There's too many possibilities to go down. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm also trying to put together, like, which fucking character was that? Exactly. Like, which character was that? What timeline was that? Yeah. How, you know, like, how does this have any relevance? Uh, also, I might have to break the seal here in a moment. What do you mean? I have to pee. Oh, that's fine. Go pee. Okay. So, if that was Anita... It if. wasn't. Anita didn't have any other siblings. She grew up alone. Ah, uh, fair in, enough, in fair enough. Nursing home. It's still weird. I can't specifically remember any character saying that they grew up with a bunch of sisters. It's it's kind Especially of... Especially foster sisters. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Maybe that was new. Maybe it was just meant to be a a line. I, I don't know. I'm, maybe we'll get somewhere with it. Yeah. Uh, how would you pronounce this word? X is for xerosis? Xerosis. I was saying it in my head. I don't know the definition. And it's actually, X-E-R-O-S-I-S. Xerosis? 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 Whatever, man. Yeah. It's an X word. They had to pick one. X gonna give it to you. <laughs> and they couldn't go with that. <laughs> he promised. She didn't respond. Her eyes are shut. Wisps of fragile hair sweep down into her face. I used the back of a shaking hand to push them behind her ear. I leaned down and kissed a dry cheek. He promised, I repeat softly, he he promised. Her tears are coming now. There's a knock at the door. Two rasps and a drag of knuckles. Knock, knock, scratch. Yeah. His knock. My hips hurt as I stand. Knees creak and groan. Untreated arthritis, twisting my joints into gnarled limbs. I pull the blanket up to her, her chin and kiss her forehead. Another trio of knocks. I turn and walk across the short room. He knocks again just as I reach the door. Hold on, I say and steady myself. I can only move so fast. There's a sigh on the other side. I can practically hear him smiling. The deadbolt swings beneath my thumb and the knob twists. I trip over my own feet as the old indoor swings inward. He doesn't enter, just stands there with his hands clasped behind his back. His head tilted in that irritatingly crooked, studious pose. One swollen cloud slinks in the front of the late day sun and casts everything into a gray haze. Well, he says, Aren't you going to invite me in? He's a vampire. Yeah. He's a fucking vampire. Yep. No, I mean, I'm mostly joking. He's probably not a vampire. Vampires don't have, like... They do have the powers to make people think things are happening. Yeah. And also they... kind of convince them. But if this I... comes down to a fucking vampire, then god damn it. I mean, they also have the ability to sort of shapeshift. And they yes. sort of have the ability of mind control. It's kind of. And they... It's kind of... Yeah. And they would like morgues, sure. They would yeah. like they would like yeah. morgues a bunch. Uh, there haven't really been any like like none of the bodies have been like drained or anything, right? 
I don't think so. Not really. Because, like, they talk about the red puddles all the time, which yeah. could be, like, another, like, it draws you, like, that's what they're drawn towards is... I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna... So I'm sorry, I was making a joke, and then we actually got stuck trying to believe the joke. Yeah. It might be true. I'm just gonna... Well, he says, aren't you going to invite me in? I pull a sleeve across my face to blot the tears and steal a glance towards the bed. What if I don't? I ask. Ah, he laughs. Someone has found bravery in their old age. He winks. Goose flesh ripples across my back. But if we're being completely honest, and that's what friends do, right, Ian? He leans on the word friends. Then it doesn't matter at all whether you invite me in or not, because I blink and he's gone. The gray parking lot with its broken asphalt and dying weeds stares back at me, and then I feel his breath on my neck. Because I'm already inside. I turn on a heel. Bright shards of pain crack in my hips. His face is inches from mine. The stench of iron and dirt overwhelm me. He's smiling that awful smile. Cracks and caverns line the corners of his face in arched ridges that cap with engorged chunks of flesh. He sucks on his teeth and then turns away from me. How is she feeling? She looks to be perked up a bit. He nudges her shoulder with a long finger. It takes all my willpower not to reach out and pull his arm away. It didn't work, I say. You promised. I did exactly what you said and it didn't work. And you promised. He's leaning over her now, looking into her closed eyes. She's rather dry, don't you think? He laughs and presses a finger into her forehead. I hear a faint crackling sound. Stop it, I scream. And he turns on me. The same finger he pressed into my wife's head is pushing me back across the room. You did not finish the job. The smile widens. You do not get your prize until you finish the job. Spit like acid sprays my face. I, I don't understand, I stammer. His heels hit the sidewall and a flailing arm slaps on the TV. A reporter spinning a story about a mother and son, poisoning, cuts away to a commercial, and then disappears completely as the power cord is ripped from the wall. What do you not understand? He sneers. You do not get your reward until the task is done. But it is done. I did everything you asked. I ruined my own life. I lost my house. My son... He saw, he helped, and now, I point towards the bed, you promised. He laughs again. Tears well up in old eyes, and I blink them away. Age, he says, turning back towards the door, is something you and I both have in common. His knees wobble as the adrenaline works its way out of my blood. I would have you guess how old I am, but I am afraid we do not have the time for that at the moment. He puts his ear to the door. Maybe later. Probably never. 
What does this have to do with... He raises a finger, and the air seems to be sucked from the room. My eyes bulge, and I can feel my heart's irregular beat in my ears. You do not have much time left to be asking silly questions, he says. This body is tired. It has seen better days. He motions with his hand towards the bed. It is all dried up. If you know what I am saying, that laugh again. So I really need you to finish the one job you were supposed to do. But, but I did. My words are cut short by a single knock at the door. Ah, he says as he stands and twists the knob. Have you met my brother? The door swings open. I gasp and feel my head spin. A boy of about 17 bearing a striking resemblance to a picture hanging on the wall of a house that burnt down glares at me from the doorway. On his shoulders is the charred remains of, He can't be! I scream. Now, now, Ian. No reason to get yourself all worked up. He motions for the boy to drop the body in the middle of the room. The boy does, nods to the man, and then leaves the room, shutting the door behind him. Before he does, he fixes another glare on me and blinks one eye in an awkward wink that doesn't quite fit his face. Not your biggest fan, he says to me. Actually, not a big fan of any of you. He doesn't have any sense of humor about the situation. The smile returns as a laugh explodes from his mouth. Is that her? I ask. The heap of black ash sifts on the floor. A choked moan crumbles from cracked lips. You do not recognize your handiwork? He asks. Of course it is her, and lucky for you, we found her before she went ahead and died of her own accord. He tisks, tisks me with a tongue that darts through caged teeth. Her twins, he spit out the word, are only half accounted for, but I have a feeling they will not be too much of a problem going forward. What with them being crusted like their mother and all? I cringe as he laughs. I thought the fire would, yes, but it did not. He stands with one foot rolls the body towards me. So, if you want your grand prize, he motions towards the bed, where my wife sleeps like the dead, then you are going to have to get your hands dirty. I look from the dry heap on the floor to the dry body in the bed. Decisions, decisions, he says. I kneel, her eyelids flutter. I place one hand over her mouth. The charred skin tickles my palm, and my other hand over what's left of her nose. She doesn't struggle. She rolls into me, one arm resting on my wrist. 
I whisper to her that I'm sorry, that I wish I could take it all back, and that I'd gladly take her place as one tear drops from my eye and lands on her cheek. I press my forehead to hers and weep. We stay like that for minutes until he clears his throat. Tick tock, tick tock, he laughs. You two can catch up later. Do you not want to see your reward? I stand and stagger to the bed. Every bone and joint are afire with pain. I place an ashen palm against my wife's head. She doesn't move. But you promised, I whisper. That I did, he says with a smile, and then he's gone. The door swings shut behind him. I can hear him laughing from miles away an echo of joyful terror in my head. I go to chase him, but the sheets sift behind me. The dry skin of her head moves beneath my hand. A frail arm pulls itself from beneath the covers and rests against my face. I take a breath to steady my heart and then look into her eyes. Her eyelids flutter like the one on the floor and then peel themselves upward Hollow sockets stare back at me. Her mouth creases, pulling at the threads sewn in to keep it closed. They tear, pulling slits of flesh from her lips. Her mouth opens wide, a gaping maw of blackness. I lean in to kiss my bride, and then she screams. For hours, she screams, painful howls ripping from dried lungs. Her throat tears and dry dustings of flesh batter as the side of my head as I try to rock her, try to soothe my lost love. I pet her head until her hair pulls out in clumps. I rub her cheeks until bone breaks through the surface. I whisper into her ears, but dust pours back out at me, and still she screams. There's a pounding at the door. I try to quiet her by putting my hand over her mouth. The howl echoes through hollow cheeks. There's another knock at at the door. A man yells for me to open up. I ignore him and plead to my wife to calm down. There's another pounding, more yelling, and then the door kicks open. Two men rush in. Dad? One yells. Dad, what the hell? I turn and see Max standing in the doorway, his mouth agape, the man beside him looking at the body on the floor, the body in the bed, and then pulls a gun. Step away from the woman, sir, he shouts. But Georgie, that's my dad, Max says. Sir, step away from... What the fuck? My wife screams again and sits upright. She pushes off me and rolls to the floor. One arm snaps beneath her, and gray bone pokes through thin skin. The man besides Max fires a gun. No! I scream and rush towards him. I trip over the burnt remains of a quiet girl and fall into the man's chest. He fires again, the gun exploding by my left ear. My eardrum pops at a high, tinny noise fills my head. He fires again, 
And again, as I fall to the floor with my hands covering my head, I kneel and scream for my wife. The floor vibrates beside me. I look over to see the TV on its side, red splattered glass splayed out on the floor. Next falls a gun, followed by the man who held it. I look up through watering eyes to see Max shaking and pointing behind me. No need to look. I know she's gone. Max mouths something to me, something I can't hear. I just shake my head and cry. He promised to bring her back. I will. Why did it have to be like this? It's a monkey's paw, man. You just got played. Yeah, you asked for her to come back, but he brought back your, like, nearly dead, dried out croak of an old dead wife. Yeah. Good job, fago. It's like Edgar Allan Poe shit. Yeah. You gotta be specific with your wishes, man. You just got played. And even if you are specific with your wishes, there's always a downside. Yeah, they might always goosebump you and you yeah. know, dick you over no matter what. Like. Anyway, I just want to keep steamrolling through this shit. <laughs> Why is for yuck? Mommy's not the same anymore. At least she stopped crying. <laughs> the end. <laughs> That's my life. The end. I thought she was mad at me. When they found wrinkles in my bed sleeping with his skin off, I thought Mommy was going to yell, but she didn't. She just cried. Daddy tried to hug her, but Mommy pushed him. I had to sleep in Derek's room. I still do. When the nice police officer came to my house, Mommy cried again. Daddy didn't try to hug her that time. They said Derek was gone. Gone like wrinkles. I asked the nice police officer if Derek was going to be in my bed with his skin off, and Mommy ran out of the room. The police officer wrote something down in his notepad. It was black and white. I told him mine had a unicorn on the cover. Daddy put a hand on my knee and told me to shush. I wanted to ask the nice police officer how names can be colors, but I didn't. We went to the scary place with all the rocks and words to look at on a hole. Everyone was talking about Derek like he's the nicest person ever. They even showed pictures of him wearing his football pads. I liked him in his pads. His shoulders look big. Like he can carry a mountain. Like he's invincible. Tara held my hand and Chad held hers. I wish Derek was there to see it. When we got home, Mommy stopped wearing colors. She cried a lot. And Daddy was always mad. I played in Derek's room and talked to my sister in the window. The nice lady from next door brought us food once. Mommy must have made a scary face, because when she opened the door, the lady from next door put the food on the porch and left real fast. I asked Mommy if I could go play with Centaur, but Mommy said no. I asked why, and she said something I didn't understand. Nosebotus. Nosebotus? Nosebotus? Does that make something to you? Nosebotus? Nosebotus? Not getting it, whatever it is. Yeah. Not getting it. It must have been a bad word because mommy locked all the locks in the front door after that. Huh? I ate a lot of mac and cheese. The food from Mrs. Reynolds grew fuzzy trees on top. Daddy and mommy got into a fight one night. It was loud. I hid in my room with my dolls and played hide and seek with the mirror. Something broke and then the fighting stopped. Mommy came up the stairs and told me everything will be okay. I heard the door slam and daddy's car drive away. Mommy stroked my hair until I fell asleep. She talked to herself in my mirror. Now we're playing a game. Mommy told me to close my eyes and count to 20, then open my eyes. I told her that's not really a game. She smiled weird. She said the game is when I open my eyes. I have to tell her what's different. I said, okay. 
I closed my eyes. One, two, three. I opened my right eye a little bit, and Mommy is looking at me with her hands on her hips. She tells me not to cheat. I say okay and start over. One, two, three. I hear something moving. I almost open my eyes, but don't want to make Mommy mad like Daddy did. My hair is still red from when she spilled on her hands. Eighteen, nineteen, twenty. I open my eyes. I'm all alone. I don't like being in the basement alone. The washer and dryer look like hungry mouths in the corner. I'm standing in the middle of the basement and the shadows scare me. I yell for mommy and she tells me to count again. She says it'll be different now. Something will change. I feel tingly. I'm excited. I'm not scared anymore. I close my eyes and itch my nose. One, two, three. I think I hear wrinkles. Something is whining in the corner. Twelve, thirteen. Something hits my arm. This is going to be easy, I think. Nineteen, twenty. I open my eyes. I'm not alone. I yell Chad's name and I point. I tell Mommy that Chad is the thing that's different in the room. I clap my hands. He makes that sound like wrinkles. I ask Mommy what's wrong with him and she stands in the doorway upstairs with her hands on her hips. She said nothing is wrong with Chad. He's just playing the game. I ask why he won't talk and Mommy says it's because she has his tongue. I laugh and close my eyes. I want to play again. I tell mommy, this is fun. One, two, three. My ears hurt from trying to listen. All I hear is Chad pretending to cry. I don't know why that's part of the game, but it makes me laugh. Seven, eight, nine. Still no noise. This is going to be hard, I think. And then something loud crashes down the stairs. I try to guess what it is in my head. A suitcase? A basket of laundry? 13, 14. It sounds wet. Maybe a box of water balloons. 19, 20. I open my eyes. I was right about the box. I'm sad because I was wrong about the water balloons. Chad is making an awful gagging sound. I tell him to stop. He's ruining the game. Black liquid is spilling out of the corner of the box. There's a tear. It smells like wrinkles did. Mommy will be mad. I call to Mommy and her shadow stands in the doorway again. I tell her her box broke and she laughs. She says it's okay. She says it won't hurt the things anymore than they already are. I look over the edge of the box, black dolls that move and squirm like worms are squished inside. All I can say is, yuck. Mommy asks if I'm ready to play another game. I push the box away with my toe and ask her if it's going to be gross again. I don't like gross. Gross isn't fun. She says no. This time it will be really fun. Her voice sounds different. It sounds older. I ask her what game and she says that I need to stand in the corner and close my eyes. Player Witch. I ask her if I'm in trouble and she says no. This time I have to tell her what's the same. I say I don't understand and she says everything will be different when I turn around. I just need to tell her what's the same. This game sounds hard, but I walk over to the corner and close my eyes. I ask mommy if I need to count and she says no. She'll tell me to turn around. I count anyways, but in my head. I get all the way to 50 when she tells me she's almost ready. I try to remember what the room looked like before I went to the corner. Gray walls, gray floors, a square drain in the middle, Chad kneeling on one side, and the box of dolls on the other. The stairs that go up to the kitchen in the middle, I squeeze my eyes shut and try to remember every detail. Mommy tells me to turn around. I turn. Chad's standing, I shout. The box of yuck is on the dryer, and that's Chad's brother, I point and laugh. I don't know who they are, but there are one, two, three other kids down here. They're all sleeping. One boy and one, two girls. I like her hair. It looks like pink and blue crayons. The box of yuck is empty, Chad's brother says and pushes a button on the dryer. Chad makes another groaning sound and a big red welt that looks like a bear paw shows up on his face. He pretends to cry again. That's curious, Chad's brother says.
I asked my mommy how I did, and she says very well, but I didn't tell her what was the same. I look around the room again. Nothing looks the same, I tell her. She walks down the stairs. Her face is smiling and frowning at the same time. What about me, she asks. You're not the same at all. She laughs and says that's right. I ask if I won the game, and she says yes. For my prize, she says I get to stay in the kitchen and eat pudding by myself while she runs an errand. My mommy that doesn't look like my mommy anymore pours a smelly liquid out of the red can on one of the sleeping kids. I ask her what it is, and she says it's something to keep them warm. My mommy is nice. She leads me upstairs. Chad's brother picks up Chad and carries him after us. Mommy says not to let anyone else in the house while she's gone. I follow them to the front and shut the door behind them. Before I do, I see a big bowl of food left by our neighbor. The fuzzy trees have turned black. Yuck. I, I, let, let me just say one thing real quick. Mm -hmm. I really hate that, like, all of my stories this episode were, like, told by kids and or young women. Yeah. That being said, I think it's cheap to play off one of the ending pieces of this story as, like, an untrustworthy narrator like a kid. A kid doesn't understand what they're looking at. The descriptions of all of those things were meant to be things that we should know and yeah. care about by now, but because they were written in such a way, we're never going to be able to conclusively say who was in the basement. Mm -hmm. So, you know, fuck that. That pisses me off a little bit. I mean, there, there have been... Kids are scapegoats yeah. in, in narrative. Yeah. When you tell a story from a kid's perspective, you can't necessarily trust the perspective for what you are reading because kids don't know what is real. Kids can't establish things. They're not good at details. Like that, that was kind of the point of that story is like a lot of shit was happening and it should matter right now, but it doesn't because the kid didn't know what we know and that's kind of annoying. But what other perspective like okay yes they could change around the And the why was Derek's mom suddenly crazy? It's just like so but so But they much... can't tell the story from her perspective because they already did that. They already told the the story from the perspective of I'm getting fucked up and transformed by this thing. They can't really tell the story from the perspective of Chad. They can't really tell this perspective from the the story from the perspective of the dad but because he leaves but before all the, the fucked thing. up shit happens. How the fuck did... Okay, so we know Steven's all fucked up. We know Chad's brother Steven uh, is, is... Steven's probably dead. No, Steven, Steven was carrying his brother down the stairs. Chad's his brother. That's Steven. So Steven is... Yeah, but... Steven is working for Mystery Man. He's probably possessed, but he beats up his brother and carries him around. Like, we haven't... This is going to be the last piece, and it's not going to cover, like, any of this shit. Yeah. I mean, I'm certainly... Ups like, I said that, you know, I wanted about 85% of everything closed because I, I thought, realistically, we weren't going to get all the answers. I will be upset if it's, like, less than 40% of, like, the story makes any fucking sense. It looks like this is a conversation. Which voice do you want to go with? Because I'll take the other one. I wanna want to do... Do you want the fucked up voice or do you want the regular voice? Because I think the regular voice is Steven and I think the fucked up voice is Chad. I'll take the fucked up voice. Unless you, you have a preference. I, I really don't have a preference. No, that's fine. I could take I could take the regular one. If you if you're fine talking uh Can I do it almost like uh Star Trek Star Wars Ian? 
Shash or dash, kashoom. I don't think that. Yeah, it, does, it seems like it's it's one thing. Never mind, just read it. Shash or dash, I I would read it like Siash Odryx G Shish Ge Gimganza Malproid I mean Hash Plapli Oid Is us up Realistically none of those mean anything and the fact that we're like <laughs> we're the, our time arguing over how to pronounce them not arguing I'm just nah, not arguing but, it my way yeah yeah uh, our time you read it like accent. Star Trek yeah I, I read it like an alien fucking language man <laughs> like a fucking Klingon yeah no you could do okay it. English Iash Isish 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 we're all friends here oh am I just going yeah okay Friends, he spits. You consider these ants friends? You have fallen far, brother. What happened to the gas again that would split these husks without a second thought? Or have you been locked inside that vessel so long you've forgotten your true form? I have forgotten nothing, Mastam. Mastama? Mastama. My voice echoes off the bricks. The young boy I'm soon to wear cowers in a corner. Good, I think. I'll taste that emotion for days. I'd bite my tongue if I were you, brother. I will do no such thing, he sulks. This was your plan after all, your decision. I was perfectly content choosing whoever to walk inside, but you had to try them out. You had to feel what it was like as, as these animals. He backhands the boy. He whimpers in pain as a fresh bruise forms on his ear and another blossoms on his arm. And why these? Mastama continued. What is so special about these? He pulls at his own face and ears. Is it the blood? The similar features? What is it? For years we have called each other brother. Don't you want to know what it feels like to really be so? To be blood-related? To share not only our history, but our present? I place a hand on his shoulder. My thumbnail peels back with an audible pop. And it, get, and it would be nice to feel the body age for once. Unlike you, I don't get that luxury. I'm so sick of this empty withering. I shake the nail loose and smile. Flecks of flesh drip from my cheeks. He turns and faces the furnace. You'll forget who you are like you've already forgotten your name. I feel the heat rising in my burrowed limbs. Black, coagulated blood pulsing in broken veins. I remember my name, brother. I remember what he called me. But I am not... One of his anymore. He turns back to me with an insult quivering on his tongue. Black eyes bore holes into mine. There is a long silence, only disturbed, but the occasional whimpering of the boy. Will you shut him up? I say. Mastema looks to the boy and winks. The boy raises both hands in protest and mumbles something in broken sobs. Wait! I say. 
Why can't he talk? Mastema takes a step behind the boy and uses both hands to pry open his mouth. A pool of blood pours out over several muscles. Your pet got a little carried away, he says with a grin. Greta? I growl. She appears from the top of the stairs. She's carrying a sprig of lavender and holding the hand of herself. Why? I shout. I'm sorry, Kane, one says. He came to me like that, the other continues. Explain! You told me not to hurt the boy, says one with the head bowed. So I didn't, says the other. But under biting, he seems to have hurt himself. I cross the room and push a grayed finger into her chest. Are you telling me he bit his own tongue? They shake their hands. It just, it fell off, they say in unison. Curious. Mastema mumbles behind me. I take a deep breath, a useless habit that I've been unable to quit. Fine, I say through grit teeth. The boy looks up at me with watering eyes. I've dealt with worse. Like four days of rot in Bethany, says Mastema with a laugh. I cringe. The memory lingers like a burnt image of the first sun. Is everything else ready? I ask the woman. Yes, she says. Except one, says the other. One what? She retreats up the stairs and returns with four tiny gray urns. Red writing glows on three of them. Offering, she says, we have three of the four. I feel Mastema begin to say something, and I raise my hand. Where is the fourth? I don't know, they say. I think the sinned delivered one outside of our watch. Angers manifest itself as a fist into the brick wall. My hand crumples. Brittle knuckles pulverized to dust. One long bone breaks through the skin like a dry glacier. I feel nothing but rage. Do you understand? It won't work without four, right? I hiss. They nod. And without a fourth, this vessel will die, and I'll be stuck in limbo until he, I point to Mastema, finds a suitable replacement. He squeezes down one eye in an awful wink that makes my skin bubble. And who knows how long that will be? Yes, who knows? He laughs. I glare at him until he gets bored and looks away. The room seems to shrink in on me, the coffin's lid closing. The furnace belches a plume of smoke. All my planning... All the manifestations, I even risked sacred grounds to neutralize the holy. And for what? So it can all be thrown away due to your callousness? The women are just shaking now. The boy openly weeps on his knees. I just wanted to feel again. I just wanted to know what it would be like to have... To have... I look at Mastema with eyes that can't cry. To have a true brother, 
I'm sorry, one of the women says, but it's cut short as I drag the broken bone shard across her throat. Crimson rivulets stream down her chest. We didn't mean to, says the other, but she too is cut short. So we're almost getting the why a little bit. Mastema crosses the room and puts an arm around my shoulder. I feel my collarbone separate and crack. Listen, brother. He whispers into my ear. You can still have a body with a beating heart. He motions towards his twin, whose eyes widen. But I fear your plan for us to be family is currently lost. But how? I ask. He steps away and lifts one of the women into the fire. By sacrificing a sibling, he says. But they are not even themselves anymore. These? He asks, lifting the second woman and placing her on top of the first. No, these are just annoyances. A knob is spun as blue and red flames lick up the sides of the body. Then who? I feel my ankles giving away. This body is collapsing in on itself. Mastema crosses the room and helps me onto the rollers. They look like the furnace's metal tongue. It's fitting, I think. He puts his hands on my face, using his thumbs to force my mouth into a smile. Did you really think I would want to spend time as a teenager, Isish? To grow old in this vessel? To be weak? He shakes his head. If that is something you want, I'll be happy to oblige, but I cannot tolerate humility, you know that. He puts a finger into my forehead and pushes me back until I'm laying flat on the metal. What are you planning? I ask through a mouth that is slow to move. I'll sacrifice myself, brother. He leans over me. His eyes are black and empty. Though... Sacrifice isn't the best word, is it? A laugh vomits out of a dry mouth. I'll expel this worthless shell, and in exchange for completing your ritual and giving you that... He points to the boy in the corner. You will promise to find the most influential of this tribe and prepare that vessel for me. He reaches down and grabs the four urns and places them on my chest. Just like you have done countless times before. He separates the purple weed into three pieces. He places one on his tongue, another into my mouth. I raise my hand to protest, but he pushes it down with his own. I'd ask if you have any objections, Mastema says, pulling the heel of the other hand into my throat. I feel my Adam's apple burst like a ripe grape. But seeing as how you are in no condition to argue, we'll just accept my proposal and move on. He lets go of my hand and begins pushing my body along the tongue into the open mouth at my head. I reach up and tap each of his eyes gently, then outline the pattern of his mouth in an upward smile. My other hand mimics the gesture on my heart. Click, click, scratch. The smell of burning fibers fill the room 
as my blonde hair turns to brown, then black, and then to white ash that floats around the room like moths. When I awake seconds later, I'm kneeling in the corner, a sprig of lavender mashed in the bloody pool of a tongueless mouth. I try to look up, but my body rejects the idea and resolves to stare at the floor for a moment longer. Then, like screaming beneath the ocean's waves consciously, slowly fights its way to the surface. The head lulls on a stiff neck and then rolls backwards. My eyes are foggy and unfocused. Thick drool cascades out from a slack mouth, and a broken nose wheezes with each breath. And that's when I feel it. My first breath. Warm air venting out of this oversized furnace, passing through clotted nostrils and down into lungs that expand eagerly. Saliva and blood trickle down the back of my throat and mix with the acid of an active stomach. I feel nauseous. It's exhilarating. I heave onto the floor in violent wretches and cry tears of joy. The pain of broken limbs and deep bruising sweeps into my brain. I'm in agony. I'm in heaven. I blink and my eyes focus. The metal tongue is empty save for my brother. My twin who sits on the edge and leans back into his mouth. Remember, he says, the most influential. And winks. There's a scream as his back catches on fire. He pushes pushes himself further into the mouth until only his legs jut out, kicking and wreathing. Two blackened hands appear briefly along the ridge of the metal lip just long enough for him to pull his legs into the fire. I blink. I actually blink and feel the lids caressing my eyes. A new wafting of burned skin smells caresses my face. Above me, the sounds of footsteps break through the silence. I try to stand. I feel wobbly, weak. The sensation sends shivers up my spine which themselves cause an entirely new wave of thrilling emotions. Oh, to be alive again. Each tiny movement sends a new barrage of stimuli that I'd forgotten had existed for countless years. My head swims. The footsteps get closer. I pull myself upright on the metal rollers and take a few uneven steps towards the stairs. My momentum gets the best of me, and I fall awkwardly across the room and bang against the large metal door. I hear the tiniest yelp from inside those insulated walls. The footsteps are halfway down the stairs. Pushing off the door, I find unstable feet. I hobble back to the center of the room. A severe-looking woman stands at the bottom of the stairs, her hands on her hips. Above her, in the doorway, a great beast of a dog sits on on his haunches and stares, as if ignited by the sun itself. My back erupts in fiery pain. Her head tilts and smiles. Sympathetic twins, she says, as smoke fills the room. 
One in a million. But if someone has been around as long as you, it's bound to happen. The smile fades from her lips. I backpedal and careen against the metal door again. The dog lets out a low growl. I try to speak, but the words are garbled. She takes a step towards me and I cower. The smell of burnt hair fills the room. I want to apologize, to beg forgiveness, but the words come out wet and broken. The fire moves to my neck and arms and I fall to the floor. The pain is amazing. I crawl on battered knees until I find the metal rollers and pull myself up again. I'm nearly blind from the flames, charred and eating at the flesh around my eyes. And she's there, pushing me down onto my back, sliding me along the rollers. The flames reflect in eyes that have masked more pain than a nation of people should ever experience. You took my father, she spits, my mother. She knew, so you took her too. I'm nearly in the furnace's mouth. You took my friends, my neighbors, you took my home, you took my husband for no reason. I grab into the metal lips to keep myself from going all the way into the flames. I won't let you take anything else, she screams. With one final thrust, she, pour, she pushes me into the gaping hole. Terror, hello, Malgrapu. Teloa, Aglo, Malpergi. Well, that's a cue. Aglo? Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> but said, that's a cue. <laughs> she said, I, I butchered it heavily. Regardless, <laughs> she says, and smiles. Let me just let out one long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? A little, so, a little what the fuck? so yeah. Anita catches the demons at the end and slow, like, finally realizes, oh, it's all the twins in these towns. They're all cursed. All these twins will just always be cursed to do fucked up shit to get, uh, to get fucking taken over by demons. And people catch on to it, and people don't, and people die, and it's pointless, and I am disappointed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this isn't the first time I've read a series and I've been disappointed by the outcome. I um I had a lot of fun reading it with you. Oh, yeah. There were a lot of parts I really liked. I think if this had, like, five more chapters... It's like, going to need more than five chapters. Yeah. Like, even when we said he's starting to double letters and we were like, this seems like a cop-out because he's stupid. running out of time. That was stupid. You know, like... Maybe we're missing something. I don't know. Yeah. Is it is it worth a Google? Yeah. Is it worth a Google to I mean, see that we're not missing anything? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it anyway. Okay, okay. I mean, I feel like if if there's a Google worth of information, that it's worth another episode. But I don't think that I don't think that it is. So the who? So so here I am at Z is for Zygoses, on the last part of Reddit. And like, what the fuck is the X word, and what the fuck is the Z word? And is that just me that doesn't ah, know okay. what those words so are? Here. Mastema is an angel in Hebrew folklore. Persecuted evil by testing humans. 
Yeah. Uh, it's an early version mm. of Lucifer. Satan originally was simply God's adversary. And Mastema filled the role at one time. So he's both an angel and a devil at the same time. I mean, we, we named out Demon. Apparently everything name drops to be back with uh, biblical terms. And it looks like T is the only word that does double letter. Um, but no, that's everything. Um, the top comment at the very end of this story says, So the whole point of this story was for the demon to become a real boy. Ah, uh, bless. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't react the same way. Sorry. If you're going to have me read like as many short stories yeah. Um, yeah. as I just did, um, yeah, no. Write a better story. <laughs> like, write a write a write a better ending. Write a clear story with, you know, here's here's what you got to do. You got to write the story literal linearly, or start to finish. No, just linearly. Okay. You got to write it linearly, cut it into pieces, and then mix up the pieces. But at least have the story exist linearly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that there is a clear start and a clear end. So that there is a character that carries over. Don't have us playing with a town full of people where we're going to forget one person who's over here doing another thing 30 fucking stories from now. It all just seems so goddamn inconsequential that I can't pick up this story one week, read a quarter of it, and then next week read another quarter of it and go, what the fuck did I just read? That That's not supposed to happen yeah. in books, or at least with good writing. So the person who wrote this story, I poo-poo on you, sir. Um, your writing had actually a lot more grammatical errors than I actually initially remembered the other couples having, but um, you unfortunately had to deal with most of them, and you played uh, with them relatively well. Yeah. Um, I, I think there were... And I mean, I, I do that whether there's grammatical this errors This started not, as up. a compelling and intriguing story where we weren't sure if everything was going to wrap back around. Even at the beginning, we were like, is this just going to be yeah. random un well, we, unlocking short stories of terror and horror? Yeah. And I kind of like it more as that because, mm -hmm. because then we're not thinking about how all this shit wraps together, even though it does. Yeah. Like, if there were three separate storylines about... Derek is the only one in most of the stories. Yeah. And Derek yeah. is not a very compelling character. He's kind of an asshole. Mm-hmm. He's, um, he deserved to die. He broke into a dude's house. Like, <laughs> like, how many sets of twins were there? Too many. Yeah. But, like, even if... Farrah and her sister, Chad and Steven. Um, um, the, 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 the dad. dad. The dad apparently was a twin. And then the dad's dad was also apparently a twin. Yeah. Um, there were more women in town that were twins. If there were more stories, like... Of of the same twin idea, but from a completely different town, you know, like like three storylines of like here's this monster, here's what it's doing, here are three separate occasions. Two of them could be in the same town, just at different timelines, and then one that's not related at all. I think it would have turned out a little. Oh, dude, there's better. there's so many ways to spin this story that it could yeah. have been better, and I think 
it starts A and B with only focusing on so many characters. You yeah. hop around There's so too much. You hop around so much acting like you're like the next George R. R. Martin, but at least he gives us enough names repeatedly that we know what's happening. Mm-hmm. If I can't remember someone from part A that comes back to deal with you know, all this shit in part Z, then, like, then you need to do a better job of flying yeah, shit up. And sure. I'm not going... And and the only, the only fucking argument that people who might want to defend this story series would have is that we did take a couple weeks to tell this story, and we were not sober. But let me tell you this... I shouldn't have to be completely sober to tell a good story. Yeah. Have you ever been high and watched a movie before? It amplifies it sometimes. <laughs> I should have had a better time because I was high. And I didn't. Since I have graduated high school, uh, I have read infinitely more like books and novels and short stories under the influence than I have Stone to the bone. Yeah, like stoned or drunk and like I'll sit there and read. Sober, I don't... I mean, maybe I'm just not sober often enough. I just but. think that there was too much shit going on. Yeah, that for it sure. Was, it was inevitable that that we weren't going to get some answers to stuff. But, like, I'm at the point where I'm fairly certain some of this wasn't even answered. Oh, I just, absolutely. It's just, like, the things I did care about never came back around. And the saddest part is... This guy wasn't a bad writer. Like he did okay dialogue. Oh yeah, he did okay pacing. There were some of these. There was just too much. There were some of these that were really well written. Absolutely, I liked the one where Derek was at the window, and every time he kept seeing uh, Mystery Man, you know, appearing and disappearing, appearing and disappearing. I thought that was fun. I liked Gremlin. Mm-hmm. I liked. Um, I really enjoyed the girl. Getting the text messages. I like that one, too. Yeah. That's like a good little one-piece narrative that mm-hmm. could, you know... That's that's the fucking babysitter. That's yep. scary stories to tell in the dark. Yeah. The calls coming from inside the house. That type of shit. Like, it, it needed... I, I'm not going to say it needed more tropes, because it didn't need more tropes. It had a bunch of tropes. What it needed was a clear vision. The one uh, perspective that, like, I wanted more information on was I think it was the teacher and the girl who was pregnant in the inn and like yeah they carried her dead body in in the last in in, in, in yes, why is for young but I wanted her I wanted a lot more than that like yeah. is she pregnant with a demon it, you know well they do kind of say that we we uh, ran through it real quick but they did they say they sort of say that he said that you got to take care of this one because something happened. Yeah. And um, I'm I'm going to run off of it as saying um, G is for Gremlin is totally her kid all burnt up carrying its twin around because, you know, it was a ruined... Yeah. It was a ruined okay. twinhood. Okay. Um, the, uh, the bodies could not manifest the way they were. But a lot of that is us taking... Assum- like, making assumptions based on, you know, loose pieces that sort of fit together. He said that she wasn't full... We know that in the house there was another black-shaped being. Yeah. The only black-shaped being we know in the entire story was the gremlin, which was described as purplish and charred. We always kind of assumed that it could be like a monster or it could be a thing that was very badly burnt. And it was carrying around a small dead feces. I mean, 
feces. Fetus. Fetus. Yeah. I said shit. I mean, <laughs> the story is shit. It might have been carrying around feces. Who cares? It was carrying around a little fetus. Was she a twin? Who? The mom. No, I don't think okay. so. Okay. She was a student. It yeah. was it was wrong. It was adultery. You know, it was a sin. So it caused you know a, a demonic child. You know? Which uh, yeah yeah. As uh, I mean, I saw we saw the demon thing coming. We saw a lot of this coming. Yeah, and it we was just saw like, it not having a good ending coming. <laughs> oh yeah, we saw that from episode one. <laughs> episode one. You know what would be the worst way for this to end? Uh, well, if it didn't explain anything, great. Yeah. Here we are, you know, six hours later. <laughs> uh, another sort of, like, unexplained aspect is because we almost saw it coming. Like, I was looking for a bigger twist. Either a bigger twist or more information. You know what the twist is? The twist is is that a lot of this is allegory for religious subtext. And unfortunately, that falls flat on both of us because you're basically... Yeah, uh, you're basically atheist, and I. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm more agnostic. Okay, you're agnostic, and yeah. I'm basically atheist. Yeah. So, so no matter which way you spin it, that you're gonna you're pre- preaching to the wrong crowd. Yeah, I'm not. So that's kind of where I draw the line. Interestingly enough, I'm not the type of person to read a story now and then go do a bunch of research on how this story made sense. I know a couple years ago I probably would have been into, you know, searching all this Latin and searching these names and going, oh, Bible, oh, this, Latin, words, things are linking up and angels and demons and words and all this shit. And, but, like, now I'm too old for this shit. If your story doesn't make enough enough sense, I'm not going to do the research yeah. to try and make sense yeah. of it. You know, the, the farthest I've gone in that route was back in, like, 2011 with fucking... Or even even further with Dianea House, where it's just like I was interested because the narr- narrative was so strong that I wanted to go read more things about it and you know the spinoff narratives and shit like that. Whereas this one, it's like the narrative was okay. the co- The characters were likable enough every once in a while that you felt compelled to continue telling the story, hoping that those characters you liked come back just a little bit more. And we never, we never saw more of those characters. Yeah. I would have liked to read more about the police officer's perspective. Maybe even um, priest and dentist pre-possession. Oh, absolutely. You yeah. know. Um, even the guys in the bar. That's the, those are the cops. Yeah. I said the cops. Oh. I um, would have loved to read more about the cops. The cops were great. Even a couple more... Uh, well, there, there was a another set of cops, there? The cops that were doing the interview for uh, minor characters. Irrelevant. Okay. Um, I was just going to say that I would have even appreciated more one-shots of um, of the kids. You know, um, the, the trifecta. Um, yeah. Chad, Derek, and girl. I don't remember. And then other girl. I don't remember the twins, her name. Farrah. And Fair and like Kimberly or whoever, yeah, but, they, then, but they were with. Uh, and then the girl that went to with to the prom and. Well, yeah, I'm talking about the trifecta that that did. Yeah. Um, that went to the house initially. H is for humorous. H yep. is for humorous. Yeah. Derek, Chad, and uh, Chad's kind of girl interest, where they vaguely drop that Stephen is a dick, and that Chad looks a lot like his brother, and. Um, 
and how we, they that was misdirection because mm-hmm. it wasn't a picture of Chad on the wall. It was a picture of Stephen. Stephen was probably already possessed at that point, and we had no clue. Yeah. Um, and then the prom story happens, and I'm like, oh, no, I hope something doesn't happen to these kids because I actually care about these characters a little bit. But I already know that Derek's going to die, so now I'm just like, I hope Chad doesn't die. And then they kind of forget about the girl, and Chad gets fucking killed anyway. So it's yeah. just like, whatever, man. Well, the girl wasn't a twin. No, the girl wasn't a twin, but she was yeah. absolutely left in the basement to be set on fire. I don't know. Yeah, that was that was a weird. Maybe that was the fourth fuck. one. Maybe that was Farrah and yeah. Kimberly. Who knows? Maybe no. that was a different set of twins. I, I don't know, and frankly, I don't care. We read a lot of this story. Um, it was a cool ride. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these episodes, some of these little stories here are really fun. Um, but ultimately, maybe just not our slice because we wanted more out of it at the end. Um, maybe going back and listening to these over again, I'll, I'll have a little bit more appreciation for them. Mm-hmm. But as, as Maybe for even right just now, cut out the last one and... There's and, no cutting out anything. The writer... Yeah, The enough. writer... Did this. He, did yeah. this for the exact purpose of putting it out like this. So we gotta at least keep it... Um, altruistic to its intensive fair publishing. Enough, fair enough. And, you know, uh, there are a lot of books I wish I could just not read the last mm. chapter of, but that that's just how it happens. And it's certainly easy from our perspective to say, well, it could have been better and, like, sort of kind of give examples of how it could be better versus, like, when you're in the seat writing, you're like, this is so fucking awesome. It's funny because... I've written a lot and a lot more than this guy has, and I just haven't released it all on Reddit because I'm not a fucking nerd. <laughs> so yeah. like, yeah. So like, I I haven't even put in my Slenderman story on on fucking creepypasta or no sleep. It absolutely deserves to be because it's mid to high quality level scary. Uh, and Slenderman prose is pretty easy nowadays. Yeah. So I'm not. I am. Uh, tooting my own horn by saying that I know how to write and I know how good story progression works and I know how good uh, character use works. And I know that a lot of these little short stories did have that going for it. However, the overall carrying narrative completely lost. And that's where you lose us as, as interested parties and commentators and, you know, even social commentators, Mm -hmm. uh, where we have to read these stories, you know, you lose us by not fulfilling all of these, you know, spots. And I'm not saying that there isn't, you know, we established this too. I'm not saying that there isn't room for mystery. Oh, mystery yeah. is necessary yeah. in horror. Don't I, answer all the questions. I mean, I but don't leave me fucking lost. I'm okay with 85%. Like, yes. that's how I started you were, everything. You were perfect. If they... If they had gone in the opposite direction, I probably would have liked it more. Mm-hmm. If they didn't describe anything about Mystery Man, but continued to show vignettes, possibly tying things together yeah. of how people were getting possessed or dying or anything related to that, then I probably would have been happier because I didn't need to know that Mystery Man was an angel demon thing that I just conveniently yeah. read on Reddit No Sleep. Oh, we we um, figured that out. I didn't need to know that there are a plethora of possessed people all working together to ruin this town. In fact, that kind of ruins it for me. I liked Mm. it more when it was just one guy fucking around with everything. It made more poetic 
almost like Stephen King-esque sense that it was just one guy, uh, you know, apocalypsing this town. It's, you know, it's it's just, it's... um, Almost omniscient. It's it's a clusterfuck. The entire thing's a clusterfuck. But, um... Or omnipotent, whichever. You're saying a lot of God words. It's God-like. Yeah. Vague umbrella of God-like powers. Anyway... Well, hey, omniscience is a word for Magic the Gathering. Just throwing that out there. (laughs) Great. So, (laughs) this was episode 126. Hopefully, your next episode with uh, with a guest of ours that we're excited to have is just a little bit better. I think we should... uh, I think we should talk about what we might maybe want to read with him because there might be a couple options for him. I mean, I'm sure we'll take a vote and see where we're at at the time. Like, oh, like democracy, huh? Yeah. And and almost dictated sort of by what shows up dictated. that weekend. Yeah. Oh, no. Because <laughs> I'd be lying if I said I wasn't trying to get a hold of something. Not sure what something is, but something. I still have shrooms. Oh. <laughs> I was thinking I mean, about the, the, this a little see, bit. I can't, I can't do that okay. or else. Yeah, fair that enough, happens. fair enough. I will avoid that. <laughs> you can do that. You can do that all you uh, want. I don't no, think I, I don't think it's a cup of tea. Yeah, Oops. if I'm doing some if I'm doing something on my own, I know what I'm doing on my own and I probably wouldn't announce it to I'd be like, Hey, I'm on a downer. Let me let me do my thing, I'm a float. Oh no, my yeah. brother my brother comes over, walks downstairs and says, Hey, can I use your mirror? I got some coke. Okay, okay. <laughs> if everybody was doing coke, I would love to do coke. No, there's a if, room of people just sitting right here and walks into the room and says, I'm going to use your bathroom. It's for cocaine. <laughs> Everyone just looks at him as he goes in the bathroom two stores later, walks back out feeling great. <laughs> See, I would I would respond to that by, I've got a little cash on me. Do you, do you have a little extra? A little bit yeah. more. Yeah, like, I, I'm not going to mooch. I don't have a ton on me, like, you know, I was haphazard, but like, oh. I gotta, I gotta say something a little, a little sad. Even with all of my heart problems, I took a couple key bumps the other day, and I was like, I was like, I might die from this. (laughs) And (laughs) then it happened. (laughs) I mean, I absolutely have a high resting heart rate, like, and I absolutely have done more stimulants than I should have, and I... (laughs) And you survived. Yeah, like, I'd be surprised... I wouldn't be surprised, well, I would be surprised if I were dead right now, but I wouldn't be surprised based on my history if I were dead right now. Alright, we need to close this fucking episode. Yeah. Um, this was, you know, the ending title, or, let me restart. The title of these episodes is almost kind of poetic now, because the title of these episodes has been, What is ABCs? And at the very end of the day, I'm still asking myself, <laughs> what is, is ABCs? <laughs> and I'm glad that you were here with me to kind of figure that out or not figure that out. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, where am I? I? <laughs> and that'll always be the question you ask yourself on a where am I episode. I certainly hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you might be 
in an amusement park for a sick fuck's pleasure, ready to ride a roller coaster to your death. You might be in In the the middle middle of of some woods (laughs) about to get raped by a bunch of (laughs) bug kids. You might be in a prison system dealing with a hot Lucifer. You might be having a dream about a guy with a unibrow or possibly fighting ants to the death. Ramuel. Ramuel. Or... As we now discovered, you might be a in part... some weird fucked up town. I was going to say, lost in a series of bad stories. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. <laughs>